Welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, OuterLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Tonight, we're going to focus on the metaphysical and spiritual meanings behind video games. Those iconic games that we've been playing for years and throwing the game controller at the screen and yelling all kinds of curse words. Yes, they are teaching us moral and spiritual lessons. And yes, they are helping us to grow our souls. How cool is that? We have an all-star panel. I'm so excited to present this to you. If you are a regular listener to our program and you do not play video games, please do not feel obliged to stick around. We're going to go very much heavy into video game history, video game characters. But uh, for those of you who are visiting for the first time, you're in for a real treat. The Outer Limits of Inner Tooth Radio Show proudly presents the metaphysical and spiritual meaning behind video games. Joining us now is Mr. Daniel Fusina. I cannot believe this gentleman is appearing on our program because I've actually killed him thousands of times. Not in real life, though. In a game called Mortal Kombat, you may have heard about it. <laughs> Mr. Piscina is a martial artist. He studied under many masters. I, I can't pronounce some of these names, because, but they're, I mean, he's incredible. You can learn more about him by going to his website at masterpiscina.com. Mr. Piscina, great honor to have you with us today. Thank you for being on the program. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Having me. Okay, so get over here. Yeah. <laughs> so you're in one of the most iconic video games of all time, Mortal Kombat and Mortal Kombat 2. And when you were in that game, when you were, there, do you think there are any kind of moral or spiritual messages that are actually conveyed in a game which is largely considered to be just you know fun violence? Um, actually, uh, as far as the game, what might be the only? Oh, actually, there there's two. I would say, or, or thinking right offhand, there's two. One thing, uh, like when we were shooting the the, the characters uh, Scorpion and Sub Zero, uh, at the time we were shooting them, first developing the characters and shooting the characters, they were both meant to be brothers. They were actually blood brothers, studied under their father, who is a master. And one of, and uh, uh, John Tobias was telling us the story. Uh, I was shooting. Uh, first days of shooting, it was myself, John Tobias, my brother Carlos, the Sina. Who plays right? So, uh, so he, the story was that, uh, Sub-Zero was the better martial artist, but Scorpion had ambitions to rule the clan. So he kills his father, and in return, his, uh, Sub-Zero, his brother, kills him. And then Scorpion comes, and then he comes back as Scorpion. But uh, when we were developing the story, uh, when John told us the story, Carlos right away interjected. He's like, brothers won't do that to each other. You know, as being uh, a smart ass. But anyway, it has like some moral condition to it. Got it. Well, I noticed that, you know, you have a wide range of background in martial arts. And when you consider that all the moves that are in these types of games – do you think that they are expressions of art? They are of actually positive expressions because there's so much that goes into learning some of these moves that in some way, shape, or form, a person may just look at a game and say, well, okay, well, they're just fighting. But, you know, if you're doing moves and you're really coming up with a style and a rhythm and flow to how you move and how you actually are engaged in combat, do you think that could actually actually like, convey a positive stream of uh, energy to a person? Um, actually, the practice of it, like the internal martial arts, Tai Chi, Shingi, Bagua being the main ones, were all developed 
uh, naturally as a martial art, but later on because of the mind-body connection, they became known as uh, spiritual martial arts. So, yeah, I, I definitely think that uh, through through the movement, through the consciousness, because you, uh, the thing is to hold your consciousness through uh, through a group of movements. And when you are in these characters, you're playing different characters, do you feel that if a person is actually having their image depicted into a game, that the resonance of that person, the the spirit of that person is going to be taken away? Is there a piece of that person that's going to resonate with the gamers? That if a person is very you know good-hearted, kind-hearted, and they constantly are focusing their energy on a person engaging in the character that that video of the person who's playing the game will likely resonate or get some of that energy off them. I think that that can be conveyed, but that would depend on what kind of, uh, uh, how good the technology is. Because actually, uh, uh, it would be, uh, it would have to be more energetic than, than an actual, you know, than just something, uh, something basic. You know, basic would only convey basic uh, energy principles, but if something with a little bit more could can project, I think, uh, bigger, uh, more in-depth energy. And that makes sense? Yeah, it does make sense. And Mortal Kombat has grown. I mean, it's grown to be one of the most popular, if not the best uh, fighting game franchise of all time. And the stories have grown. They've gotten more intricate, and they've ex- largely expanded. Do you think that there is an underlying theme within the Mortal Kombat series that actually teaches people uh, lessons of morality or actually will allow a person to contemplate their own morality and hopefully aspire to a higher plane of existence? I think, uh, you know, when we're creating a game, we, we goofed around with that. I shouldn't say goof, but we, we did have, have uh, that kind of uh, philosophical talk while we're doing it, but I don't in the end, I think it's just trying to be entertainment. But during the development, definitely some kind of uh, philosophy, you know, or, or, or you know, the, the things that people perceive martial arts as really are, are, are in the creation of the game, have something to do with the creation. Excellent. Mr. Daniel Pacina. I want to thank you so much for being with us today. To learn more about Mr. Piscina, please go to his website at masterpiscina.com. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Joining us now is Dr. Rachel Cowart, a research psychologist and author of three different books about video games. One of her most recent books it was called The Video Game Debate on Raveling the Physical, Social, and Psychological Effects of Video Games. We can learn more about Dr. Cowart by going to her website at rcowart.com. Dr. Cowart, welcome to the program. Thank you for being with us today. Thanks for having me. So, based on your years of research, do you find that video games in general carry some moral messages? And if so, what are some of the games that you think have the most profound positive impact on people? Yeah, I mean, it very much depends on the game. I would say there's there's no kind of universal effect of video games kind of flat across the board, which I think is kind of a common misperception that people have. Um, but, you know, depending on the game, games can have, you know, great moral messages. They can teach you about 
hardships in life. They can teach you about love. They can teach you about spirituality. It really depends on exactly what game you're playing at the time. Are there any games that you would say that have the most positive message, five, like three or four games that you think have the most positive messages? Oh, that's hard. <laughs> um, I think that, you know, it, everybody takes something a little bit different out of every game that they play. I know that I play a lot of role-playing games. Um, for instance, it comes to mind, there's a game called Final Fantasy X. It's the 10th in a series. They're on 15 now, so it's a little dated. But that really has a story about love and family. And, and when you play through the 100 hours of the story of the game, at the end you really kind of feel compassionate and um, really reiterates, like, the importance of family and the love of family and that sort of thing. That's interesting because we brought up Final Fantasy X uh, earlier in the show and talked about how there being a radical spiritual message, the fact that you have all these people that are worshipping a certain something, and it turns out that that being that they thought they were worshipping is deceiving them the whole time. So I'm wondering if, yes. you, yeah, if you think that that uh, – are there other games that are like Final Fantasy X that have those profound spiritual messages or radicalized thinking, radical thinking? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there there are plenty. I can't really think of one offhand, but that's interesting that you mentioned that because when I was just now thinking of Final Fantasy X as a positive message, I was thinking of a completely different aspect of the story. But that's a good point that you make, that you can have a game with several stories, and depending on you know what you focus on, that could be the message that you that you retrieve from it. That's a good point. Thank you. And other games <laughs> that um, – what do you think are some of the common themes that – people can get from video games that would help them improve or help them be more moral or help them improve to, to become better people? Um, well, there's an, a relatively new game called uh, The Walking Dead. It's um, a game that a lot of people play on their phones or their tablets, and you make a lot of moral decisions where you have to decide, you know, do I leave this person behind or do I, you know, have more struggles myself to try to save this person, and the entire game is full of making these kinds of moral decisions. And I think that games like that, that really challenge kind of what's right and wrong and what's selfish or not or what's the right decision, those kinds of games can really open our eyes to how what the feeling would be if we had to actually make those decisions in the real world. And I think games like those that really challenge our core beliefs are the games that really push us to kind of think about what kind of decisions we want to make morally and, and how that makes us feel and what's right and what's wrong. Good. And there are people who play games and they get a response or a chemical reaction in their brain based on the type of stimulation. I'm wondering mm -hmm. from your perspective, what is the comparable difference between a person who is getting a positive reaction from a game from the moral aspect that they're learning compared to mm -hmm. a experience where they're just fulfilling a chemical addiction that they get within their brain when playing these games. Right. Well, I think that's, com yeah, it's completely different. So it would be kind of just the difference between a stimulus response and really like becoming deeply involved and growing and changing. I think when you play these kinds of games about moral learning and moral decision-making, you're really becoming fully engaged. You're not just kind of casually interacting with this experience and having these chemical reactions. You're fully involved. Um, so I think it's a whole different set of chemical reactions that's happening <laughs> when when that kind of learning is happening. All right. So are there any video games, like five or six video games that you would say, or any way you can think of that you'd say are detrimental, that, well, these games definitely do not have the right messages. These are games where I would not want my kids to play, or, you know, these are games that are probably going to train people to become mass murderers. 
Oh. <laughs> well, I think that um, every family is going to have to make the decision for themselves as to what they think is particularly appropriate for their children or not. You know, you hear a lot of talk about the really violent games, not necessarily having as much value in terms of what they can offer their children who are playing. Um, but I think that that might be a bit of a kind of black and white distinction that's made because even games that are have a lot of violent content also have things that are valuable. You know, they are teaching multitasking or reaction time or, or different. They're giving different lessons um, to the people who are playing them. So I don't want to say this game is bad and you should never let your child <laughs> play them. I think that parents definitely need to be aware of, like, what their children are playing, and they need to decide. I, um, I think Grand Theft Auto, I mean, just the fact that you can just walk around, like, even if you don't have a mission, you can just walk around and shoot people. And it's, like, fine. Right. And, right, well, for some, some parents, I think, don't mind um, if their children are playing those kinds of and others very much do. I mean, I have a two-year-old. I wouldn't let her play games like that. <laughs> but, you know, when your child is 18, 19, 16, 17, 18, you have a little bit less of a of a hold on, on necessarily choosing what they're playing and what they're not. But they're not necessarily bad. I mean, just because your child is playing that game, they're not going to be – a mass murderer. That's not that's not a, con, a concern that parents need to have. So that's that's good. Dr. Rachel Coward, research psychologist and author of three fantastic books. I want to thank you so much for being with us today. We can learn more about Dr. Coward by going to our website at rcoward k o w e r t dot com. Thank you so much, Dr. Coward, for being with us today. Thank you. Joining us now is Brendan Fry. Editor-in-Chief of Comics and Gaming Magazine. You can learn more about Mr. Fry's magazine by going to their website at cgmagonline.com. Mr. Fry, welcome to the program. Great pleasure to have you, sir. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. So today, we're going to be focusing on games that have spiritual messages. And for those who don't play games, you should know that vast majority of people on the planet do, probably a billion or more so. What are some of the games, from your perspective, that have a message or, mes- or several messages that actually have a positive impact on a person, that actually have deeper meaning? That's, that's a hard question, because there's lots of games that have um, a spiritual focus, but some of them are more satirical or more critical of the spiritual concepts, and some of them are more embracing of those concepts. So if you have uh, games like God of War, they're very kind of anti those concepts. They're kind of pushing away from the spirituality and showing how the world is kind of moving towards a more secular place. Where if you have games such as Final Fantasy or hell, one of hundreds of JRPGs coming out of Japan, they're very embracing of their origins, very embracing of the spirituality and trying to show that how that even in modern world, you can kind of have that in your life and embrace it and make it part of you. All right, now we were talking about games that are spiritual. The spiritual aspect, are they lessons that pertain to religion? Are they, are they aspects that pertain to morality? What would you define, in your perspective, as a game that has a spiritual message to it? Well, I mean, it depends. I mean, a lot of games contain spiritual messages as in concepts of morality, concepts of how to be a better person, how to be a better human or better person within a um, world of other people, but there are other games that actually fully focus on the concepts of religion or concepts of straight-up spirituality. If you look at games such as Final Fantasy, or as I mentioned before, many other JRPGs that exist, 
they're directly embracing their roots in Shintoism and things like that to push that message forward, to kind of give, make it seem the world of, uh, make the world of fantastical seem like something that could be embraced within a modern setting and a world that gamers might not realize is based in some kind of a real religion. There's a game series that's very popular today. It's called Call of Duty. Yep, I know and well. It's, you know, and that is one of many games that are were considered first-person shooters where you're out yep. shooting as many things as possible. Do you feel that those games actually could be anti-spiritual because they will numb a person to the violence? Because the violence, it seems like it's very real. You do it enough times, and it seems like mm-hmm. you lose your numbness to it. Do you think that that could actually be considered anti-spiritual or having a negative message despite the fact that it's a very entertaining game? Um, that's a hard question. I mean, there's lots of opinions on both sides in that front. Some people believe that just kind of being immersed in that sort of experience numbs you to the violence in the real world, so you don't really feel like you need to embrace a spiritual meaning. Other people believe it is a way to kind of take you away from the horrors of life, take you away from as a way as a more of a cathartic experience. So it allows you to kind of reach a level of Zen. So there are two mindsets to that. So I'm personally of the mindset that too much of any one game is a bad thing. It's good to kind of have a variety. It's good to put everything in perspective. That being said, I know that there are people that do live and breathe Call of Duty, and as such, it might have a negative impact, but that's, as I said, there's two mindsets to that, and it's hard to say. Okay. Some of these games that they have today, I mean, these are even going, I, I would say much more today than uh, later years. You have to engage in a lot of thinking, and you have to think very outside your traditional platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've always been curious, if people are able to re- um, expand their thinking about the games and really force themselves into different areas, if they can do that for video games, I'm always wondering why they can't do that in waking reality and see things beyond uh, normal perceptions. I feel like collectively speaking, as a society or yeah, yeah. as the world in general, we there, there's, there's so much more we could break out. I still feel like we've mm. been on level two for 300 years. <laughs> we should be at level 10. Meanwhile, right. when it comes to gaming, we can think so much better. I'm just curious as to why you think that might be a case. Well, games force you to be in a situation of puzzle solving, whereas life puts you into your routine. Games break that routine. So they do allow you to kind of think outside the box, uh, kind of force you to look at the world in different ways. So I, I think you're seeing, as pe- people that have played games and have played games since they've been a kid, looking at problems in different ways than, hell, even I did or even you did when uh, we were kids. So I think it is having a positive impact on how we look at problems and how we really interact with the day-to-day. We're more and more people are finding that they're thinking outside the box. They're trying to um, look at the world in new ways to find find new meanings. So games are having a good impact on that front. And it's just the fact that games force you to do that. In everyday life, you do avoid needing to have a, a way to kind of look at the world in new ways. You don't. You kind of sit at your desk or you'll do your daily routine, go home, sleep, and you never really are forced to kind of think about things in new ways. So games have a positive impact on that front, but it's hard when you have a routine to put yourself in that mindset and to look at the world in new ways, look at how the world could be more fantastical than if you were, than you ever realized, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. And if there are 
maybe two or three games that you can think of where if a person were to start playing them right now, that they would likely have a positive impact or could have a positive impact on their on their, on their well-being because of the spiritual messages, which, which games would you say this would be? Well, that's a, that's a really hard question because <laughs> games are a very personal thing. There's some games that I feel really kind of moved me, but they might not move other people. But if you want to go with games that I feel are positive for the most part, let's go with the games, like the indie titles, I think, are the most impactful ways of um, looking at the world in new ways. And let's go with um, Everyone's Gone to the Rapture, which is a way, it's a game that looks at how a town has kind of vanished, but you're trying to understand what every person in the town had was going through, what they were experiencing, and how their final moments were. And it was a, it's not at, religious in the way you might think it is, but it goes to very interesting places. Um, you then have The Witness by... Um, indie darling uh, Jonathan Blow that is, is a simple puzzle game, but it kind of pushes you to think about the world in new ways, but it also has some really interesting puzzles that make make you think, make you kind of want to do better. And then I'm going to go with, you know, I'm trying to think of the last one, the one that really kind of... <clears throat> Let's go with um, Oxenfree. It's um, okay. another... It's a it's a game about teenagers experiencing um, uh, aliens and other fantastical and this one little island as they kind of deal with interpersonal relationships. It's it's not for everyone, but for people it hits. It'll hit really well with them. Okay, Mr. Brendan Fry, editor in chief of Comics and Gaming Magazine, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. To learn more about Comics and Gaming Magazine, please go to their website at cgmagonline.com. Mr. Fry, great pleasure to have you with us today, sir. Thank you for having me. Joining us now is Mr. David Jaffe. He is CEO of the Bartle Jones Supernatural Detective Agency. He is also a lead game designer. You may recognize some of his games. They include God of War, God of War II, the Twisted Metal series, Drawn to Death, which he's currently working on. And he's got so many other incredible game credentials. Mr. Jaffe, it's a great honor to have you with us today. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Right. Mr. Jaffe, your focus is on metaphysical, spiritual games. From God of War, from what you perceive about God of War, are there a couple of spiritual messages, underlying spiritual messages, messages that people can get from that game? Well, uh Help me. How do you define spiritual messages? I mean, I definitely think the game has, uh, you know, parables. Uh, whether or not you would call them spiritual, I think depends on how you define that. Well, I'll give you one distinctive message I found is that you have a human being that goes out and actually is able to destroy gods, Greek gods, which implies that we always have this idea that okay, well, gods are eternal; they reign over humans. And when your main character, Kratos, goes over and destroys the gods, it seemed to shift the idea that maybe gods are created in human minds. And because gods can be destroyed, maybe they're only ideas that exist within humanity, or it was just the ideas of humans, that they're not actually eternal beings. So that's what I was looking for, and seeing if there was anything deeper and mystical about it, and how your character... Well, Sorry. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, uh, yeah. So I mean, absolutely. I mean, the whole idea was that you know Kratos, uh, you know, is betrayed by the gods, and 
you know, ends up, he, he really spends most of the game trying to commit suicide. The beginning, the, the beginning of the game is he's like, screw it, I've, I've been screwed over by these guys, I can't handle it, I'm, I'm done, I've done everything I'm supposed to do, I've done everything they asked me to do, and I'm still screwed. And so he's like, fuck it, I'm out. Um, and the gods basically, you know, won't allow that, and they're like, you know, you're amazing, you're one of us, become the next god of war. So he really, uh, you know, steps into that void. But really where we were going, and he never got to tell the full story for a variety of reasons, and, you know, video games are expensive, and they take three years to make, and there's hundreds of people working on them. But where it was going was the idea that Kratos was ultimately going to... Uh, destroy all of sort of the ancient gods. So he, the, the first game was going to be about Greek mythology. And then by the end of the second game and the start of the third game, it was going to be Norse and Egyptian. And, and, and ultimately the idea would be that uh, he, he had the idea that the way to actually really kill a god uh, is, to, is to make man stop believing in them. And that was really going to be the impetus of the third game. And the problem with it was at the very end of the third game, um, you, you were going to take on the role of playing the three wise men heading towards, uh, you know, the star in Bethlehem and realizing that shit, you know, as long as man is alive, they're always going to create uh, this, the, these, these things to explain the unknown. And so Kratos basically can never win. So at the end, he ends up uh, in that new series of games we were going to make, he was going to end up becoming the Grim Reaper. Uh, and basically just becoming death itself because he's like, this is all I'm good at and this is all I can do because I can't win. Um, and it was going to sort of really signify uh, the rise of, of the current gods, even though I know chronologically, uh, you know, Christianity is one of the last religions of the, the new religion, but that's how we were going to tell it. So it was certainly on our mind to tell that kind of story for sure. That's fascinating. That, that's absolutely, that's incredible. That Because everyone thought the new God of War series of stars, he's going after the new gods, I understand, Norse gods. And it's incredible that you guys actually had that seem to have that planned out all along. The idea that these gods do exist, do you feel that that is a direct correlation to the way people feel about uh, gods and religions right now? Did you try to put a lot of the same messages, uh, belief patterns, and organized religions and religions across the world into that game for the purpose of exploring the idea of your character, exploring the idea that your character could actually overcome these gods? and? Do you think that there's a lesson from these games that humanity? Well, I, I, I you know, I think uh, there is. There, there, I'm sure there are people who do creative work that start with a theme in mind. Mm -hmm. I think for us and for me specifically, like it wasn't until more than halfway through the original God of War that I realized, sort of thematically, what it was really about. Which, if you strip away all of the, the, you know, the, the, the drama, the Greek drama, and the monsters and the violence and the set pieces. It really is about a guy who puts his work ahead of his family and in doing so loses everything, which is exactly the Kratos story from God of War. But I didn't realize that, you know, when I was working on it. And it was exactly what I was doing, you know, giving sort of everything. I just had, you know, my first kid and you know, it was impossible to get out of the studio before midnight on most nights and it was it was a really hard thing and that ended up seeping in. And so I'm sure uh, you know, my views and our views, uh, you know, but certainly mine, I was one of the lead writers and I was the game director as well, uh, about religion and gods and stuff. Let, let's put it this way. I, you know, it never occurred to me to be a problem uh, that you could kill gods, uh, which speaks probably a great deal about what I feel about organized religion, uh, you know, because it, it, it was just like, yeah, that's a great story. Um, whereas I imagine someone who was very religious would be like, well, no, God is eternal. God is everywhere. God is, doesn't, it wouldn't even, it wouldn't even compute, uh, to consider that. But for me, I was just like, well, 
I don't really believe in God, so sure, let's let's it's just a character in the game, let's kill it. Well, I was curious when you were killing every character that's killing all these gods, and you see that, okay, all these gods are killed, yet the earth still stands. So I guess the question that I was having in my mind was, okay, well, what holds the earth together? What is the force that holds everything together? And you have a character um, in the, char- in the well, it was the third God of War, Pandora, that says, we're here to experience hope. So I'm, I'm wondering if there is a level beyond the veil of who the gods are of a force that is not yet explored or that has not yet been focused on. You know, I, I had very little to do with anything, a few meetings and a few initial design documents with three. And so the interesting thing about, you know, every God of War so far up until this newest one that's coming out in, a, in about a year or so, I don't think they've announced the release, but coming out on PlayStation 4, has been done by a totally different director. And so Corey, who directed two and I, were very closely mapping out the story of two and three, and then Corey left and it went to a new director. Um, so I, I really... You know, I, I was never really behind the whole concept of let's put hope in this in Pandora's box and and, and, and say that that's uh, ultimately the message. So I, I couldn't really speak to that at that point, and it kind of went, went in its own direction uh, after Corey left and I left. So, uh, you know, as to what holds the world together. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was just curious about that. Cause I, the gods assume, are destroyed. I'm like, well, well, then with the Earth still there, like, what's holding everything together? Where are people going? You know, when they when they're dead. I mean, what's so I get socially curious. I assume, I yeah, I assumed it was gravity that was holding the earth together. Um, but uh, you know, who knows? Uh, but I mean, look, I mean, I, I I don't have an answer to that. I mean, for me, it was you know, he, he didn't, you know, it never occurred to me to think about if he were to actually get his way, and maybe that's the whole point. Is that the story we were working towards telling was. You know, a game and a story where he could never get his way. He killed, you know, he killed Odin and he killed, uh, what was it? Is it Ra or Osiris? And you know, Osiris is the bad guy, but he killed the Egyptian gods and he killed, you know, Zeus and he actually killed the Titans who even, you know, weren't actually dead, it turns out, and all this stuff. And still, when you know it, great. Now here's Muhammad and here's, you know, Yahweh and now here's, you know, Jesus. Fuck, I can never win. You know? So maybe ultimately, you know, on some subconscious level, there was some kind of statement being made about, you know, to me though, the statement was more that it's not that the gods are there and they keep coming back because gods are real or God is real and you simply can't kill them. It was more man is too uh, scared to basically try to live life without the fantasy of the concept of God uh, and to say, Oh, we, we haven't evolved enough yet as a species to be able to go, you know what, we don't know what's going on, and it's terrifying, and that's okay. So instead, let's just, until we evolve, Kratos could have killed our new gods. And sure enough, you know, there would have been new ones that rose to take their place, because that's just where we are as a species, is the way I think about it. Well, Jaffe, I want to tell you that there's an aspect about the outer limits of inner truth, I would call it the Kratos factor, that we've always had since the very beginning, and I'll tell you where it comes from. It doesn't come with the fact that you know we, we, we kill our families to sacrifice to the uh, god of war. That's nothing about it. It's the idea that <laughs> you, your character continues to challenge and cause chaos by, by breaking down veils and by paving a way for a new hope. And that's one thing I think we're doing with our show, is that we're trying to, to look at every single sacred cow that's out there um, run through it, run it over, destroy it, and find something else, because I think that you've said something very interesting, that humanity's concept, maybe they're, they're not evolving quick enough, or they have that they're not, they may, their technology may be evolving, but where are their philosophies? We, we're still having the same religions that have been around for two, three thousand years, 
yet we have all this greater awareness. We can see, you know, hundreds of thousands of miles in the galaxy, yet we still have these religions that are two or three thousand years old. Um, I want to just bring something to your attention, Mr. Jaffe, is that the style of your games, I find them to be, first off, a lot of fun, very intense. And when yeah. you look at people who are meditating or they're praying, maybe their heartbeats are changing and they're in a different state. They're changing their state to very you know, happy states. When you are doing a game and you're providing a certain amount of action, do you have in your mindset certain situations that are going to elevate a person's mood, knowing that if you incorporate um, X amount of situations or X amount of payoffs based on the amount of effort a player has to go through, that it's going to put them in a higher state of happiness, where in turn that could actually, theoretically speaking, put them on a greater path of spirituality because they'll be happy for a prolonged period of time? So, I mean, you know... the answer is yes-ish, um, in the sense that I don't think it goes that... Uh, so here's here's what I can tell you for absolute sure. I can tell you that I believe um, that uh, when we, whenever we start a game, the thing we start with is, is what is the feeling that we want to elicit in the player? What is the emotion we want that player to feel when they're expressing themselves through the mechanics of the game. And I don't even mean the story or anything like that. So I just mean when you're having a direct connection with the controller uh, and the characters on the screen or whatever it is you're controlling on the screen, what, what that, cause that's ultimately what we're providing. Everything else is just window dressing. What we're really providing is a feeling state that comes from picking up that controller and having an experience with something on the television. And so uh, there, for, for God of War specifically, there was a desire to make players feel strong and powerful um and everything else was in support of that goal the new game we're doing drawn to death is really about making players feel smart um in terms of even though it's a very violent action game the way to do well in drawn to death is to study your opponents who are you fighting what are their tactics what are their abilities on the battlefield what are your counters to those abilities and while all of those things at an intellectual level are, are, are fine and good ultimately it leads to the place of going when you do well you feel good about yourself because you feel smart, right? So I absolutely, uh, we always start games with going, what is the feeling state we want to put someone in? And I can also tell you that, you know, uh, over the years, um, as as recently as a few days ago, I will get people writing me and telling me what the games that we've worked on uh, have done for them, you know, whether it's a a specific concrete memory of, oh, I played Twisted Metal Split Screen with my dad growing up and he's not alive anymore and it really... When I saw the new one, it really meant something to me. It brought back those memories of being connected to my dad, you know, or, you know, Calling All Cars, which was a game we did. It didn't do very well, but it has its fans. And there's a guy who wrote me and said, you know, I, I worked through my chemotherapy playing this game. It was one of the few things that sort of brought me out of the awareness of my moment to moment and just let me sort of get lost in, in this game that you guys made. So there is that awareness. And every time we start a new game, we're like, what do we want to put out into the world in terms of what do we hope people will feel when they play this? But in terms of do I think the games, the game, do I think the games we're working on are contributing to evolving humanity? Uh, all I can tell you is I very much believe, I don't even think it's, it's not debatable, but you know, the whole butterfly effect. If, I, if, if something that we can do can make somebody happy, and that happiness uh, sustains for that person driving to the grocery store the minute they put down the controller, and instead of being an asshole, they let somebody go through the stop sign 
you know, and that person goes on to give a compliment to a student because there's a teacher the next day. And 30 years from now, that's the kid that figures out how to cure cancer. I believe very much in that in the sense that we should always do what we can through what we do uh, to put good intention and good vibes out into the world. But we're not consciously going, okay, let's come up with a feeling state that will accelerate the evolution of humanity so we can uh, stop spending all of our money on stupid bullshit and instead spend on space exploration (laughs) so we can figure out what the hell is going on. I think that's probably happening on a subconscious level, but it's not a conscious decision we make when we're working on game design. Well, I'm going to say that when you play some of the games, I highly recommend people play your games, is that there's a lot of critical thinking involved, and I'm wondering, when you have to think critically and you have to think fast, if you apply that uh, aspect of critical thinking fast in daily waking life, I think that it could probably shake you out of a lot of manipulations or or spells you might be under as far as you you may may decide, oh, my goodness, why am I believing what I'm watching on TV? Why am I believing what certain people are telling me? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, the older I've gotten – and, you know, I'm 45 now, and I have this discussion. I like to talk politics a lot with people online and stuff. And I've had this discussion with people now who are probably a little younger than me. But, you know, having – not that I'm that old, but I'm old (laughs) enough to have gone through, you know, how much people loved Reagan and then – you know, Clinton and then, you know, Bush and Obama and now to Trump. And, you know, finally you have enough perspective where you go, Jesus, it never changes. No, it's, 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 it's every single time, um, you know, when, you know, quote, their guys in office, you know, the arguments coming at the, the other party that's not in power are exactly the same. It's interchangeable. The, the stuff that they're saying now about Obama is the same stuff that people were saying about Bush when Obama was in power. And it's just like, wow, we are not, we're not evolving a goddamn bit. No. And so I realized that, you know, the need for media literacy and critical thinking skills and just compassion, um, you know, is, is the need for that is, is, is at a huge high. And I certainly, you know, I, you know, I hope to do my part, um, in whatever way I can, not to say that I have any answers and not to say that if the whole world started thinking critically, they would arrive at the conclusion that would make me happy. Maybe they wouldn't, but at least it would be a step forward of like, can we just stop knee jerking to everything we see on, on the news and all the clickbait and go, wait a minute, this is absurd what's happening. You know, we're, we're, we're being mean to everybody all the time who doesn't agree with us. And this is just horrible, you know? So do I, you know, so the reason I bring that up is, and I mean, you triggered that thought, but it, it does go back to, as I get older, I think about, uh, is there a way through my day-to-day, which includes our work, that we can contribute more meaningfully to uh, just putting out better vibes into the world? And that's certainly something we think about. Well, um, thank you for bringing that up. It seems like uh, I imagine that you, you probably would love Bill Hicks, the comedian, because at the, right now he'd probably, I think if Bill Hicks was alive, he'd be so thrilled to see Elon Musk really trying to push people out and saying, listen, we've got to explore the galaxy, we've got to explore, the, explore space. Of all the things that you've done... You my, told, yeah, my, yeah. Bro- my brother loves Bill Hicks. He keeps saying I need to listen to him. I haven't. Oh, yet, he's fantastic. Please. Yeah, you, 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 probably would, you probably love him. He was so far ahead of his time. I, dude, uh, we only have to have two more questions for you. And one of the questions yeah. is, Anthony Robbins has come out a lot and talked about how sometimes you can trigger yourself into a state. You can trigger yourself into a state of happiness. You can trigger yourself into a state of joy, sadness, and everything you want to do. Are there certain games 
that you've developed that you'll know at certain points are most definitely or likely going to trigger a person into a state of prolonged happiness. Do you have a formula that you've utilized um, that, generally speaking, will put a person into a state where they're very happy? And do you tend to continue? Well, it, yeah, see, well, certainly not. I mean, I, I'm always in the search of getting better and better and better at doing that. But okay. I think I think the, the, the reason that's not that simple of a question is there's two kinds of happy, right? There's there's the cell phone back in the day, Zynga farm bill version of happy, which is just sort of what's going to get the, the dopamine drip to happen more frequently. You know, there's kind of just that knee jerk of like, oh, I love pressing this button because it makes this wonderful coin sound. And I just want to press that button. I mean, seriously, I mean, that's a valid, you know, in some, some would argue that that is the most purest form because any other kind of happiness that you can ascribe to, you know, emotional activities or uh, contextual activities really is just a long way around to get that dopamine drip that you're really searching for. You know, if, if you really just think about it as we're just these chemical beings and we're just these basic flesh robots and that's really all we're trying to do. I don't know if I believe that, but... There is definitely an easy shortcut to get the dopamine drip when it comes to interacting with things. I mean, you certainly see it at the beginnings of, like, you know, you see it in Vegas all the time, and you see it in cell phone games. Nintendo, who I don't think is that manipulative, but I think they do a wonderful job. It's just so much fun to be in their worlds and to, to, to click on the buttons in those games yeah. and to collect <laughs> coins in Mario games that it just, it just makes you happy. So there's that part of it. But then there's the part of it that I think is... Again, I don't think it's necessarily correct to call it a deeper level of happiness, but there's sort of a more contextual level of happiness that is a much harder thing for games to do right now. And it may it may always be hard. I think movies do a wonderful job in books and, and plays uh, because they, they speak more to ideas and games speak more to mechanics. And there's a lot of people out there that will tell you, oh, no, no, games can do that, games can do that. And maybe they can. I, I've, never, I've never really seen the medium... Uh, you know, reach, you know, we, I mean, the, the, the games medium, forget that it's video games, just the interaction with a set of rules has been around, you know, since Mancala, you know, um, X thousand years, 3,000 years before Christ, I think, is when they sort of, you know, pinpoint the first official game, right? You know, there's, in all that time, when have we ever thought about, you know, uh, games, video games or not, sort of bringing us to a level of contextual awareness that brings joy. Um, I think they're wonderful for competition, they're wonderful for intellectual stimulation, they're wonderful for adrenaline rushes, they're wonderful for those dopamine hits, but so many games, I mean, this is my beginning with way too much for you or your audience. No, or we, we love going I far. Love, Go far down the well, road. I love game, I love, I mean, I love this stuff because I, 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 I'm, I'm, I love, you know, how to make games and theory and all that stuff as well as making them, and so for me, there's so much wrapping around games today where it's like, oh, this game's really emotional when it's about something and this and that and the other. And what they're really saying is the art is that and the cutscenes between the gameplay is that. None of that stuff is anywhere near as good as, you know, a great emotional episode of sort of, you know, This Is Us or The West Wing or a, gr a great movie like, you know, Moonlight or whatever. Um, but ultimately all that is irrelevant because when all that cutscene stops playing, it's really about the game. That's why you're playing a game. And I have yet to see mechanics, which is actually the gameplay, evoke that level of contextual happiness. Uh, and I just don't really know if it's possible. And it might be. Some people would argue to the death that it is. I'm open to it. 
Uh, but you created God of War. Yeah, so if you created the, the God of War, which is considered one of the greatest game series of all time, I'm, maybe you're the maybe you're the gentleman that's going to do that. Maybe this is the the next. Maybe, maybe. I mean, I, I don't. I, it's you know, I don't really care. Um, I don't have that ambition. I, I want to make people happy with what we do, but if the way we do it is just more like, you know, like I said, people have hit us back and said, dude, you, you brought us a lot of joy through playing this game with my brother. I mean, that's amazing to me that, that we weren't thinking about it. We weren't conscious of it. Um, I got a guy last night, not last night, two nights ago, who said, hey, uh, I played Twisted Metal Black, which was one of the sequels to Twisted Metal, and he's like, my brother has since died, but we played this game together all the time, and it, it, it brought us such happiness, and now it brings me comfort because he's not here anymore. And I'm like, okay, that was not a conscious thought. There's nothing in in the mechanics other than just wanting to give people a good time. But hey, if, if, if we go to our graves and we did that for the world, I'm good. I don't. I don't need to fucking be a, you know. I, I don't need to be the guy that cracks a nut that I don't even think is crackable. I'm just happy to know that we made some fun stuff, and a lot of people it meant a lot to a lot of people. How, who gets to say that? I'm, hopefully, one day we'll all get to say that. But who gets right. to say it right now? Not a lot of people, and so I'm grateful. Excellent. Well, Mr. Jaffe, we have one final question for you, and the last question we have yep. for you is this: Is there is there any particular quote that um, you that means a lot to you, or a quote that you think uh, could help a person out to improve their lives? Inspirational quote. Yeah, let me, sure. Let me. I mean, yes, but I'm trying to think what it would be. It would probably be. Um, God, I want to give you something fucking profound because I know there's so many things that I've heard that have moved me and <laughs> spoken through. But uh, you know, I I, I I I won't give you a quote. What I'll what I'll say is. Uh, well, you know, Pima Chodron has a wonderful quote where he talks about reading into the sharp edges, and I definitely think uh, that's a really good piece of advice. But I think the bigger part is you mentioned meditation. Mm-hmm. I think meditation is is that's my that's my quote. Go meditate, meditate for ten minutes a day, and you know your 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 life will improve, and you will become more compassionate, and you will realize that we are all in this together and it's confusing and it's weird and we're all suffering and we're all having a good time and it'll keep you from being an asshole. So go meditate. That's what I would <laughs> Mr. David Scott Jaffe, CEO of Battletones Supernatural Detective Agency, lead game designer. You can learn more about him by going to his Twitter handle at David Scott Jaffe. Mr. Jaffe, great honor. Thank you so much for being with us today, sir. Absolutely. I appreciate it. It was a fun chat. We'll talk to you later. Joining us now is Mr. Max Parker, video game columnist for the Pittsburgh Hits. Sorry. Three, two, one. Joining us now is Mr. Max Parker, video game columnist for the Pittsburgh Post Gazette. You can learn more about him by going to his Twitter account handle at GameGuyPGH. Mr. Parker, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me. Well, I have to tell you, I think it is incredible that most people, when they go to work, oh god, I gotta go to the You're the video game columnist. That's awesome. How did you? How does one become a video game columnist? Well, uh, I did study. I studied journalism uh, at, in college at Duquesne University in Pittsburgh. And uh, I had a corporate communication job out of college, and uh, it wasn't the most rewarding work, uh, but it was what I studied, uh, communications and journalism. So 
I realized that the Post-Gazette, which is the largest daily newspaper in Pittsburgh, covered all kinds of entertainment and arts and like theater and movies and music, but had no real uh, coverage of, of video games. And video games are, have been up and coming for decades now and constantly on the rise, it seems like. And so I pitched that beat at the uh, Post-Gazette. So somebody to cover and critique and cover news about tech and the world of video games. And that was about eight years ago, and here I am today. That's awesome. That's really awesome. And of all the games that you've <laughs> seen over the course of many years, are there any games that stand out in your mind as being spiritual or having deep moral lessons? There are. And as as the medium of video games, um, as an entertainment medium, matures, it starts to uh, it starts to explore the games start to explore more mature themes um, so like spirituality or religion or 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 moral moral standards um, or just philosophy just world philosophy uh, and we've seen a lot of that just in in the last couple decades uh, I mean there's there have been and of course also many of these games that I, I'll talk about are open to interpretation so some people might interpret it to have deep religious meanings or deep uh, philosophical meanings. Uh, so, I mean, there there are absolutely a lot of games out there um, that that really uh, broach these topics. Um, sure. So, I mean, the start. Oh, go ahead. No, so what, what any particular game stand out in your mind? Uh, well, there's there's the Assassin's Creed series, uh, and I want to. I'll talk. I'm since I'm going to be talking about the stories of these games. There might get into some spoilery. Uh, <laughs> some people are really right. sensitive about spoiler alerts. If you've never played <laughs> Assassin's Creed, now's a good time to. <laughs> Actually, I don't care. You're gonna have to hear it anyway. You're gonna play it anyway, so we'll, we'll, we'll spoil it. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Assassin's Creed, which was actually just recently made into a movie with some A-list actors, uh, but the series has been been going on for some time now. Uh, for almost, it's been about eight years, six, seven, eight years now. And uh, it kind of explores, uh, it's, it's a science fiction game, first of all, uh, but it, it does explore um, whether or not you have free will of, of your life or, um, or if it's preordained based on your bloodline and your heritage. So how it works is uh, there's a character named Desmond Miles who's in the present day, and he has uh, ancestors from from centuries ago that were part of a secret society known as the Assassins. And there's been an ongoing secret war between Assassins and Templars. And uh, the people behind the scenes of this war have built a machine where they can tap into your DNA so Desmond can relive memories of his ancestors who were a part of this secret Assassins organization. So he doesn't have any skill set or um, he doesn't have any of these skill sets that these assassins, his ancestors had, but he's tapped into this machine and suddenly he has all these skills. And it's kind of, and it, it goes deeper into if if he has uh, if these things are taught or learned, if these abilities are taught or learned, or if these are kind of preordained um, skill. If if you are who you are, or you are where you, your family came from is basically the uh, one of the main themes of, of the Assassin's Creed series. It's a long-running series, so it, it gets pretty deep into there, um, and different. it explores his various different ancestors. Um, but that is uh, definitely one of the underlying themes of that. That's really deep. Wow. Uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's what's so strange about some of these games. Like, on the surface, it just seems like an action-adventure game where you're climbing tall buildings and, well, it's called Assassin's Creed, so there's a lot of killing involved. So on the surface, it's just a run-of-the-mill action game. But if you really delve deeply into the story, I mean, you get into that some of that deep stuff. Um, Bioshock Infinite, uh, which was third game in the Bioshock series. The first game is really not connected to the rest of the series, uh, but the first game uh, was pretty much a large metaphor for the teachings of Ayn Rand um, and objectivism. Uh, and then Bioshock Infinite has tons of symbol- symbolism and highly influenced by uh, American exceptionalism of the 19th century, and it has very uh, heavy religious symbolism. The game starts, it, well, it's about a floating city in the sky called Columbia that no one really knows is there and was built to be this utopia. And as your main character enters the city, you actually quite literally go through a baptism. Um, so there's definitely symbolism of a, of a rebirth when you enter the city. And of course, like most stories with the utopia, things are not what it seems, which is actually like the, the main theme of the, of the story is that, um, or of, of the, the city itself is that utopias aren't all they're cracked up to be utopias. So there's, um, definitely, um, yeah, some, some, some symbolism there about, about, uh, American exceptionalism and religion and those influences, uh, how those things influence people. Um, and then also the main character, again, it gets into free will, um, whether this was all preordained, um, with the main character, if he was meant to be there, um, to, experience this city if he has control over the choices he's making or if this is uh um all kind of uh preordained and he doesn't have any free will at all if somebody else is pulling the strings behind the scenes in this strange uh mystic floating city have you ever are you familiar with final fantasy x uh, yeah, I've played most of it, but not. Um, but I've I've never actually finished that Final Fantasy. Okay, can I can I spoil it for you? Because there's a pivotal. Go point. absolutely, yes. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you haven't played, well, look, the game's over ten years old. Oh, I'm going to give everyone a heads up on this. There's a spoiler alert. Yeah. I think this game is very spiritual because one thing about it is that um, you have these characters that are fighting this this being called Sin, which is like this evil quote unquote being, and every you know ten years mm-hmm. you have to sacrifice somebody for it. Turns out that there is mm-hmm. a entity behind that being called Sin that is pretending or portraying itself to be an all-encompassing, all-knowing being. And what I was thinking about is we actually had a guest on our show named George Kovacilis who was describing the fact is that there are some people who perceive God to be one particular being, but the reality is that their their energies that they're channeling for God are actually being diverted and channeled to this being pretending to be God. It's such a deep, deep theme. And then Uh. I was so fascinated by some of the, I won't reveal all things, but there are a lot of things metaphysical about that game. I didn't know if you've ever come across anything else Final Fantasy-wise that could have some metaphysical themes to to it. Um, Final Fantasy, uh, I mean, with the Final Fantasy series, there have been, um, I mean, so many, the stories get, really intricate uh so i'm sure a man, and there's been so many final fantasies right now they're on 15 so with i mean it's just a difficult storyline uh to, well every game is a contained storyline but 
I'm sure there are absolutely some some metaphysical themes for Final Fantasy. Um, but as far as those kind of themes you're, you're describing, um, Legend of Zelda: Majora's Mask uh, is is has some really interesting theories um, about its story. So, Majora's Ma- Legend of Zelda: Majora's Mask, which came out for the Nintendo 64, which was the sequel, is the sequel to Ocarina of Time, which is widely regarded as best. one of, if not the best game of all time. And it was just too out there uh, for it's because it's a sequel to such a highly regarded game. When it came out at the time, um, it it wasn't it wasn't until years later that people started to appreciate it. It was just kind of ahead of its time. Um, It's very um, out there with a lot of its themes. And the big theory that most people subscribe to when it comes to Majora's Mask is that it is a a larger metaphor of death. So Link, this, the theory goes that Link falls down uh, this like this cliff at the very beginning of the game, and the thought is that he dies, and the rest of the game, um, which he has three days to complete, is actually the game is actually on a running timer. The rest of the game is him going through the various. It's actually the Kubla Ross uh, stages of grief, and the different characters that he meets in five different areas of the game are just the, the different stages of grief with denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. So th- the theory is that throughout the game, Link is dead, and he's trying to, uh, his spirit is is trying to make sense of, of what is happening to him. Um, and it, there's the theory and the uh, the reasons behind the theory are, are, are absolutely fascinating. And there's, there's a lot of um, interesting things to back that theory up. Wow. The... Yeah, I would know say that I, she not never looked at that that way before. So when I you think it fried my circuits. That was pretty, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> they, do you see other spiritual meanings in some of the more classic games like Super Mario Brothers? I was talking to someone about it. I said, do you think it's kind of interesting that Mario eats a magic mushroom and then all of a sudden he gets these superpowers? I wonder if there there's some kind of subliminal push on that. Well, uh, that's that's an interesting theory. I mean, there's with those early games, there's just so little uh i guess you would say meat to the story because they're i mean you're just dealing with little 8-bit graphics and no no uh i mean no one's no one's talking there are no voice actors or anything like that so i mean everything is pretty much up to interpretation i mean when you really think about it he's an italian plumber facing a fire-breathing dragon (laughs) to try to get the princess back in this strange uh place called mushroom kingdom um I mean, personally, I don't see I don't see a huge spiritual connection. Um, I, I don't see a lot of spiritual uh, spirituality in the story of Mario Brothers, but I'm it's absolutely up for interpretation because, um, I mean, there's just uh, it's just so out there. I mean, it's just a strange concept. So I, I mean, I guess it is up colorful. to new interpretation. This is one game, yeah, absolutely. This one game we have been discussing on this particular program. It's called Grand Theft Auto, Grand Theft Auto Five, considered one of the you know, best games. I've played it before. I think it's very interesting, but the underlying theme is the fact that you can go out and kill people and it's so like it's got such a strong <laughs> sense of realism. Um, I wanna ask you from your perspective, are there some games out there that have been very popular that's connected with a lot of people that kind of that maybe are do you think are a little disturbing that, you know, you're surprised that a, a game with these types of themes would ultimately connect with so many people? Um, yes, yes and no. I mean, video games, like any entertainment, like movies or music or or books, are are an escape. 
they're an escape. I see them as as both art and as a means from escaping the real world. So if with a game like Grand Theft Auto, where it's a very uh, grounded game in reality, I mean, you're not flying around, you don't have superpowers, you're playing a human being um, who I guess is invincible. Like you can be you can be shot and killed, but then you just wake up the next day at the hospital and you walk out of the hospital and you're fine. <laughs> just like real life. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. But I, uh, But for a game like that where you can live out I mean, basically, your fa- your fantasies. So, uh, everyone, most people get frustrated in the traffic jam. So this game has traffic jams, but you can do whatever you want in it. You can drive your sports car in, in between the lanes and just crash into every car in front of you. You can drive on the shoulder to just get away from everybody. So you can do all these things. I mean, there are so many these social norms that everybody like the shoulder is there. <laughs> I mean, you technically you could just bypass a, a traffic jam, but no, I mean, social norms say you stay in your lane and you just have to wait. You stay in your lane and you wait. <laughs> but in Grand Theft Auto, you can do whatever you want. You can get out of the car and jump on top of the cars in front of you. You can do whatever you want. Um, and, and there's absolutely something appealing to that. Um, just an outlet for at the end of a stressful day with work or, or like I said, with traffic. I mean, to just pop on Grand Theft Auto 5 and just have this realistic uh, playground with really no consequences. Uh, I mean, it's not surprising that something like that would be so appealing to everybody. Now, I watch, I play this game, and my wife says, like, you know, I, she's like, I, now you wonder why all these kids are doing this stuff, and they're like, oh, you know, you can't get in trouble for it. It's just so real. Um, <laughs> right, right, yeah. yeah. Nice. The final question I have for you is that with the advent of virtual reality, with it becoming so much more I think it's realistic and better than it ever has been. How do you think that's going to, to maybe cause some positive or negative effects on people's spirituality? Do you think that's going to allow them to experience, um, you know, manifest things differently? Do you think it'll give them more peace? Do you think it might be something that could be utilized for people with post-traumatic stress disorder? Where do you see it? Ha- where do you see it going? There's, it's so young, and there's so much potential for virtual reality. I mean, it's just been in the mainstream hands for, um, actually, we're just getting to a year this month. Um, so it's all so new, but it's absolutely, um, I don't know if you've ever tried it, but it's unlike, it's, I mean, I've been playing video games for, for decades now, and this is unlike anything I've ever played. It, it just, when it, when, the games developed for this platform are are done well. Um, there's it just enhances it, and and it depends on the genre. So, one thing I always like to say about about um, virtual reality is horror games. Uh, that's right now. That's those the best horror games are for virtual reality because when you're in that Jeez. world that's just designed to scare you. When something's coming behind you and you can physically turn around and see something gaining on you, you're you're so immersed in the world. I mean, it's unlike anything else. Like that's but that's just that's one one aspect of virtual reality. I mean, but as far as it does, it will. I'm sure it will have plenty of uh, of of more useful. Um, applications for it. Uh, like you said, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, if, if people, if the development is there for it, uh, I mean, the potential is high. Uh, I mean, I know there are other 
uh, applications that for stage fright. So you put on this headset and you put on the headphones so it feels like you're there and it puts you in front of front of a stage, in front of a, 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 a crowd of people um, and and eventually with that repetition and we'll get people over stage fright. Now I'm not comparing stage fright to post-traumatic stress. <laughs> Those are two extremely very different things. Um, but there are absolutely um, uh, useful applications that, that are I think are on the horizon for virtual reality, and it has a bright future, I think. Mr. Max Parker, video game columnist for the Pittsburgh Gazette, and new father. Congratulations once again. You can uh, <laughs> Thank you so much. Tweet him your congratulations and learn more about him by going to his Twitter account at GameGuyPGH. Mr. Parker, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Joining us now is the godfather of video games father of e-games, the founder of Twin Galaxies, a gentleman who was in a very popular documentary, you may have heard of it, called The King of Kong, Mr. Walter Day. Welcome to the program. It's a great pleasure to have you with us today, sir. I am honored to be on the show. Thank you for having me, and uh, um, I'm glad you got me involved because uh, I think I do have a lot of interesting things to say uh, from describing my perspective yeah. of whether or not video games are spiritual or or well, any are, kind of are thing. They, are they spiritual, and which ones would you consider to, to have uh, very spiritualistic content? Well, let me back up from the video games a little bit and, and explain the context from which I speak. Well, first of all, in 1970, I was trained as a teacher of transcendental meditation. Now, this is the technique that has, was uh, promoted or brought over and made available to Western countries by Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, you know, the man with the long hair and the beard. And uh, he, uh, he was teaching this meditation technique, which is completely different from any other meditation technique that's out there. It's actually the one that you hear about in the news when they talk about meditation does this, meditation does that, meditation increases uh, your intelligence, your creativity, or balances your, your, you know, or helps your cardiovascular problems. Uh, transcendental meditation is a specific technique that you actually sit down and do. So I got trained in that. So as I began to practice that and teach that, I saw that it's possible to change your level of consciousness you can actually develop these deep inner resources that everybody has inside that commonly during this age, we'll call this age of ignorance, has not commonly been available to people. And, uh, and as I was practicing transcendental meditation, having these major changes happen in the way my body would work and in the clarity of my mind and also the happiness I'd feel inside, uh, I fell in love with video games and I started playing them. And... They were very engrossing, and I'd play them till late at night like other people. And I found that uh, I found out some very interesting things. Fortunately, because I was a meditator, it, it gave my physiology and my mind strength to resist the, the toll that video games can take. One of the first things I wanted to point out to everybody is that video games can be a spiritual experience. But the first thing people have to realize is that video games can also be a problem. And a problem in that people are spending too much time in front of a computer as opposed to getting out walking around in the sunshine. And people are spending too much time in front of a, you know, a computer or, or an arcade game instead of getting more 
uh, cardiovascular, you know, aerobic kind of exercise. And plus, the lifestyle is developed that people are staying up two and three and four in the morning, if not completely all night, they're sleeping during the day and completely becoming divorced from the natural circadian rhythms of the world and the sun. And it's beginning to turn out in the, in the eyes of science that this is a bigger deal than people originally thought, that it's actually having a big, big physiological effect on people to not be in the rhythms with the world. Plus, they're staying up all night and getting drained while drinking some of the most outrageous drinks for energy levels and for high sugar and carbohydrates and stuff like that. So the lifestyle actually is degrading the quality of people's nerves and their nervous systems and, uh, and making it easier and easier and easier to really get addicted to stuff. And so people just can't stop playing these games tonight because also it's like an itch. you got to scratch it. So they're up there all night. So why do I think this is important to bring up in the regards to the fact we're talking about spiritual stuff? Well, it turns out from my direct experience as having taught transcendental meditation for decades and having experienced the results of doing it, I've learned that, and the scientists proved this in many ways, that the condition of your consciousness and your state of mind and your happiness and your health is completely based on the condition of your nervous system. So there's many things out there that affect people's health that are like habit patterns and bad lifestyle choices, but video games are seriously amongst the most most concerning to me because people are definitely uh, not developing spiritual consciousness by the amount of hours that they're spending on the games because it's having an eroding effect on the way their physiology works and therefore how their mind and emotions and health, uh, uh, you know, uh, go forward. So that's the first thing I wanted to bring up to you. So I guess I should pause because I just said a mouthful. Yeah, well, you might want to comment. No, I want to bring that up. I'm just curious. What would you say would be a powerful difference between somebody who's obsessed with video games, plays video games all night, and somebody who's obsessed with a dream? I mean, if you are driven and you have a dream of what you want to accomplish and you can't sleep about it, what's the difference between that and playing video games? Like, can you, is it the same kind of passion when it comes to playing video games that it does that you have similar to chasing down a dream? And could both ultimately be beneficial? Is it good to be that passionate about something where you're willing to forego sleep in order to go after something? Okay, well, that's, that's a big question. You're, you're an intelligent person. You're asking a very, very interesting question. So I've learned from direct experience uh, if you go out and find those kinds of books that were written by the people who describe, like the Dale Carnegie kind of stuff or, the, or the something, something Robbins, uh, all the different guys who talk about uh, what they have found in common amongst the people who are tremendously successful, who have a tremendous amount of life support in the world, meaning things bounce in their favor, and also that they're able to make good decisions and their minds are always clear and their emotions are always balanced. Those people quite often have lifestyle habits that are very, very conducive to health uh, in terms of diet, in terms of when they go to bed, in terms of exercise, and other aspects of what we might call a balanced lifestyle. So when a person has a balanced lifestyle, they can still have passion because I have a lot of passion, but I still go to bed reasonably early, and I still you know, get exercise, and I still eat properly and, uh, and try to fit it all together. 
so that the passion I have will have better tools to work with, so that my energy level will be up as a result of having a healthier lifestyle, which means a healthier body and mind, a clearer mind. So, uh, so anyway, mixing together these ideas of passion, but then overdoing it, there is a discernible way that they can be separated so that the passion doesn't go away, but that you don't kind of like burn out the machinery. Because that's really one of the main points I'm pointing out here is that a person, many, many people are burning out the machinery by, by running it, by running, it's almost like rubbing up the, the gears too high and too hard on a car and just maybe hurting something in the car, you know? So that's very important that you don't overwhelm the physiology by burning out the gears by just overdoing it. Uh, you were sorry. Because, uh, be, sorry, good. Because uh, uh, because it's hard to come back from some things that you can break. You can break things in the nervous system, and once you start hurting the nervous system, it causes the mind spinning more and more and more, and then it's harder to sleep. So uh, there's balance, and that's the most important thing. And that's what I personally found happening as a result of the doing transcendental meditation twenty times, twenty minutes twice a day is that the physiology got balanced so that automatically the brain and the, and the way I felt and the way I thought was clear, was able to uh, handle jobs, handle things that I wanted to do or accomplish uh, more efficiently and more easily and didn't, didn't negate the passion. It just allowed the passion. It gave the passion some tools to work with, some machinery to work with so there was a better chance of accomplishing what I wanted to accomplish. You recently started on another documentary called Man vs. Snake, which is about two people competing for this classic game called Nibbler. And I was wondering if you had genuine concerns about the mental and physical well-being of both participants because they were playing this game for almost two or three consecutive – it seemed like two or three consecutive days in a row. And I'm thinking that you know, from a doctor's perspective, you're standing for so long, I imagine that would increase your chances of having a, a stroke you know, because you are blood clot developing, or you could have some long-term nerve damage staring at a screen for that long. I was wondering if you were ever concerned about the participants of, uh, in that movie or if you ever been concerned about the physical and mental uh, well-being of other people who've tried to go out and set records, but by doing so, they're staring at that machine for so long. Okay, Man vs. Snake is a movie everybody has to see. It was quite enjoyable, wasn't it? It's great, yeah. It's also very intriguing and very compelling. It's an interesting movie, Man vs. Snake. I, I don't know, where is it available? I guess it's on HBO or it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. Okay, so, so back when people first started playing video games and they're putting their quarter in the games, some of those games allowed a person, if they were good enough, to keep a game going for 25 cents a quarter, okay? And so there was a big, fierce competition amongst gamers all over the world to try and get the highest scores on a single quarter without losing their last man. And this movie, Man vs. Snake, is about possibly the, the, most famous, the most famous video game marathon is what they're called. Keeping a game going on one quarter. And back in those days, it was young kids with flexible nervous systems, you know, who it didn't, they, it didn't hardly face them. They got tired, but they went right through it. However, now we're getting to the age where these people who are doing these marathons are some of the same people, but they're all 48 and 49 and 50 years old. And I absolutely agree with what you were just saying, that I consider it a danger to their health. 
that some things that can get bent out of shape or broken in their physiology may not be able to come back. So I personally don't I personally don't approve of the marathons anymore. We're actually trying to devise contests where a person just plays on five men only or, or maybe a 10-minute limit or something like that. So that not only, not only is it inconvenient to have a person have to play 45 hours to get their score, because, you know, you can't conduct a contact, contest that way if you have 20 players who want to play in a game. But if they all play Galaga with only a five-man limit, or play centipede with a three-minute limit or something like that. It makes it a it makes it a, a convenience so that the contest can be conducted, and that it, it doesn't go on and on and on. But as far as the health goes, absolutely, people playing for 40, 50 hours on one quarter, not only does it hurt their hurt their, their probably their brain structure and their eye structure and their back and sitting there and joints and the and then on top of that, they start drinking all sorts of sugary drinks, and uh, so uh, it's just it's just a lot of stress and wear and tear on the physiology. So I uh, uh, I think that anytime someone does a marathon, they, whoever is organizing it for them, should make them sign a disclaimer that says, if anything happens to my health, uh, you, the arcade owner or whoever's doing it, are not responsible. It's complete, completely my own sole responsibility whatever health mishap is. That's pretty so, amazing. Yes. Mr. Dale, a long, long time ago, when I was in elementary school, I was playing this great game called The Legend of Zelda, and I, I loved it. And to this day, I still play it because I, I feel like it, got, it gives you peace of mind and the music, and it was just kind of a good peace you know, game. I was wondering, are there games that you can think of that you feel will put a person in a relaxed state or almost a meditative state where they can be at peace and they can actually think um, and, you know, actually be open to more suggestions that are, are very positive. Okay. There's a, uh, let me explain it this way. There are different games that are so non-demanding that they're not in the competitive realm. Have you ever played Robotron? I believe so, yes. Okay, Robotron, you're in the middle of this huge, churning mass of robots chasing you and shooting them on all sides. Or, or have you ever played uh, uh, Space Invaders? Yes. Okay, Space Invaders, you do not relax. Your mind does not wander. You do not, you do not la, 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 and drift into a reverie and dream. You don't drift into a reverie or a dream state. You are there every single second, attentive to the game, because you'll lose your man and the game will be over. So in the competitive realm, the main aspect of, of competitiveness in video game playing is that the game is challenging you every second, and you must meet that challenge every second too. So those kind of games would never fit into this kind of like reverie mode that you're kind of like thinking about. But now there's so many games, there's easily over 100,000 games out there. So there's got to be some games that because of the music, and it'll always be connected to the music, it'll be the music that'll be sort of like the, the blood or the vehicle that will charm the mind and be just kind of like becoming distracted and unfocused. Uh, uh, and that's the key. Unf you're, you're talking about a situation where the game is unfocusing the person so that they will relax into a more meditative, reverie, dreamlike kind of state. 
and there's got to be dreams out, uh, games out there like that. But off the top of my head, I can't think of any of this right now, but I know there's a lot of the Nintendo games have very soothing, sweet music that do probably relax the person. But whether or not it can completely allow them to disconnect to the point of view that they're in a reverie state, uh, I, I, I can't think of that right now. I can't remember that right now. But there's probably some. But whether or not a video game is an actual portal to, uh, you know, uh, transmutation of the mind, uh, I think that those games might be created as time goes on. But off the top of my head right now, I can't think of what those could be. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, I explained it. Makes absolute sense. Makes total sense. And uh, Sir Dave, this is just an observation. I don't know if you agree or disagree with this, but I found this. A lot of the retro games, very challenging, very difficult, and you you do have to be on your feet. Whereas today, a lot of the games today, you'll get seven, eight, nine lives. You have infinite continues, and I'm wondering if those games of the earlier games, video games, were more spiritual, or could have greater forms of spirituality because they were so challenging. Do you find that when you're trying to reach a peaceful state, when you're meditating, that in order to get to a great place of peace? that you have to work at it, that you have to want it, that you have to put the effort and time into it. And I was just okay. wondering if you think that uh, some of these games that give the uh, player a reward too easily are kind of negating their competitive spirit or actually negating their curiosity because they're getting rewarded so easily with minimal effort. Okay, so you've covered a whole lot of ground there. Okay. So let me, let, me, let me say two things. Let me say actually more than two things, but let me uh, elaborate this way. Um... When a person, when I first went on my path to, to getting involved with video games, I fell in love with them and I was playing Space Invaders and other ones. And I started watching and noting that when a champion gamer, meaning someone who could really dominate the game, get a high score, when he did a high score, that everybody would gather around him and he would be a big attraction. It was really neat to watch. And so I actually went on a journey in the summer of 1981 where I was a traveling salesperson, and what I was selling was old newspapers, believe it or not. Old historical newspapers that dated back, the oldest one I had was from like the year 1590, believe it or not. 1590. So I used to sell uh, Civil War newspapers, uh, um, a War of 1812 newspapers. I'd sell them to school systems, uh, historians, and to newspaper uh, journalists, and to just general collectors. So I was traveling around doing that, but I'd stop at arcades everywhere, and I'd go in there, and I'd actually log and notice the high scores in many, many different games because I was intrigued by the idea of excellence in video game playing because I believed that a person who was in a more, whose consciousness was more developed, which means that they're psych, that they're, that, 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 in a sense you could say their spirituality was more developed which would result in a higher level of consciousness, which would result in a clearer mind with better eye-hand coordination, with better fast reaction time, that they would be the equivalent of the athletes, but in the video game realm. So I was intrigued by that. I was watching for people like that. And, uh, and my own personal experience, and other people's is, is that you can go into the zone, whatever level of physiological development your nervous system has, 
or another way of saying that whatever spiritual level of development you have on the level of consciousness, which also means the nervous system because they're connected, they're interconnected, uh, will, will determine how much, to what degree, that you are able to get into the zone. And when you get into the zone, it's almost like you start witnessing the gameplay before your very eyes, and you just automatically, automatically, from the level, deep level of intuition, play the game from some deeper level, and it just all happens just about by itself, and that's when quite often the greatest gamers would get the greatest, highest scores. So uh, That's an incredible uh, observation. And just to – did you ever find that people who are very – at the top of the gaming are very open to abundance? Are they, are they open to, to abundance in personal life? Finances. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So basically, what they, they take oh, those affirmations. Well, that's a, that's an incredibly good observation from your side too, yeah. because what we find, what people, anybody out there who's interested in any any aspect of the spiritual path, will notice that the people quite often who have this highly developed ability to perform to the degree that it's almost like witnessing the process, or literally is witnessing the process. Of, of your action happening while you're almost from a distance, separated. Uh, quite often they note that all the other areas of life just flow out with abundance because life support from the forces of nature comes as an automatic side effect of refined states of consciousness or developed states of consciousness or developed states of awareness. And, uh, and so... Uh, this is a very good, very good point that you're bringing up because I completely concur with that and agree with that. That these people have lots and lots of supportive nature, lots and lots of good things, and quite often you will note that they do have a higher degree of sense of self. And I don't necessarily mean ego self, you know, that deep inner spiritual self that lies at the basis of consciousness. And they will have a just more things that the forces of nature seem to do for them automatically to help them, support them, and serve them, and just give them gifts in their daily life. So, and those are some of the basic tenets of just refined and more developed states of spiritual awareness. And that's how I see spiritual awareness expressing itself in the video game field. So it's so, and this leads me up to one of my biggest points, how I feel about it. So it's not that video games are necessarily spiritually or, uh, you know, uh, necessarily spiritual vehicles. It's that it's the person, what they bring on the level of their own consciousness to the table when they play the video games. So that a very spiritual person can probably have a, you know, can have it as a spiritual experience when they're playing video games. And uh, so, can a spirit, can a video game actually evoke a spiritual experience? Well, it probably could, but it would have to be one that's. Uh, it has to be one that just creates higher vibrations. You know what? You know what I mean. I'm sure you know exactly what I mean. And a lot of the video games don't create higher vibrations. One is the machinery is not that refined. It probably has a. People are complaining a lot about the electrical waves and electrical envelopes that people are bathing themselves in. And that would apply, you know, like Wi-Fi and cell phones and stuff. But that probably would apply to video games, too. And let me start, let me step aside and I'll let you interject. I oh, hope you're enjoying what I'm saying. No, I, really love, I, think, I, think it's ground, I think I'd say like it's groundbreaking. I've never heard anything like this before, and I, I think it's, I'm really thankful you said it. And 
I guess we just have one more question for you, Mr. Day, and that question is, are there any books that you've read that have had a profound impact on your spiritual development, and are there any books that you would recommend to people that would put them in a, or hopefully put them in a very um, peaceful state, or state where they can you know, continue to evolve and grow themselves spiritually? Okay, well, books don't necessarily trigger off this peace, peaceful state. However, books can explain the steps one may go through that could lead to a peaceful state. So the first thing is the man who actually made available the Transcendental Meditation Program, Maharishi Meshyogi. He wrote a book uh, called The Science of Being, Art of Living. Okay, the science of, and it tells you the basic, the basic rules, how the world works of why we can unleash the power of consciousness which lies at the, the basis of the mind and use that to gain the support of the forces of nature and also develop consciousness, expand consciousness. So look for the book called The, the Science of... Hold on, it's called the science of, the science of Being, the Art of Living. Is that right? Hold on a second. Let me go pick it up. <laughs> the Science of Being, Art of Living uh, by Maharishi Meheshyogi. And the other one... Now, the Science of Being and Art, and, and Art of Living by Maharishi Mashyogi it explains tons of stuff how the way the world works and why we have this deep inner reservoir of energy and happiness and creativity, which when you make contact with it on a daily basis, helps you expand your consciousness and the whole quality of your life changes in a major way. And the other book, the other book is by a man named Norman Rosenthal. Okay, Norman Rosenthal. And his uh, book came out recently. I'm just getting the exact title. Norman Rosenthal. He just came out with a book, and it's called Supermind. You want Norman Rosenthal, MD. He just came out with a book called Supermind, and it says how to boost performance and live a richer and happier life through transcendental meditation. Because what he does is he really he, what he does is he defines he defines our lives. We want to go out and have success in life, but it turns out that the basics for successful life actually is expansion of consciousness and spiritual development. And expansion of consciousness happens uh, routinely as a result of practicing transcendental meditation. And what he does is he uh, references hundreds and hundreds of scientific experiments that directly corroborate this and show that if you want to have a successful, happy life, you have to turn within. And so this is like the best guidebook and explanatory text that a person could read to understand where they have to go and what they have to do in order to live the richest, fullest uh, life uh, with the most life support and just the best things happening to you by expanding your consciousness and uh, I guess I guess I'm running out of words at this point. No, you got but it. I, I, think I have to say that you know, for people, I, I'm somebody who watched those two documentaries and followed you for a while. And I, I say that during the course of this interview, it completely surprised me about some of the things he had said. And and I want to thank uh, Mr. Walter Day for being with us. You can learn more about Mr. Day by going to his website at thewalterdaycollection.com. And highly recommend you go on Netflix and you check out these two phenomenal documentaries called The King of Kong and Man vs. Snake, where you'll see Mr. Day prominently featured. Mr. Day, it was a great pleasure and honor to have you with us today. I'm honored. Thank you very much. Joining us now, 
is Mr. Darren Campo. He's a television producer, executive, and author. You can learn more about him by going to his website at darrencampo.com. Before we begin, also, Mr. Campo is author of the best-selling novel, Alex Detail, science fiction series. Mr. Campo, welcome to the program. Ryan, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. Your perspective, are there any particular video game characters or video game series that have a special spiritual significance in your perspective? Well, th- many of them are based on what we would think of as a fantasy world. So I think the most popular ones right now, uh, let's say The Legend of Zelda, just because uh, Nintendo just came out with their new link today, we see uh, a particular journey that's familiar to us where a man of science or a person of science becomes a person of spirit. And that's the journey of The Legend of Zelda. And even in a video game like Assassin's Creed, which sounds like you know a bunch of people shooting and, uh, at each other, um, it's a very familiar fight for peace, uh, you know, against the Templars who fight for control. Okay. In some of these games, it seems that they're not the old school Nintendo games. They're not the eight bit games. So the graphics are very intense. Right. I'm wondering if, because there's so much happening on the screen, because the sounds, the visuals are so much more intense. Maybe the story can be more intense. That it could actually pull someone away from a trajectory on spirituality because they become more rooted or more bound by their physical senses? Well, I think what the thing to look at in, um, let's say, how we measure game spirituality is um, what, are, what are the sorts of choices that you make and do you, are you rewarded for those choices? Um, often there are young people who are playing these games uh, and there are a couple kinds of games. They're the kinds where you you kind of there's conquest and war. Of course, this is our big grown-up game that we see all over the world. Um, and there's another kind of of game which involves um, cooperation and sacrifice and making what we might say more virtuous decisions. And I think to the extent that um, a player makes more virtuous decisions in a simulated reality, they may be more likely to make more virtuous decisions in real life. So you think that if they're making virtuous decisions in a virtual, say they're making uh, more virtuous decisions in a like virtual reality world, the repet, repet, re, sorry, repetition of doing that, do you think that could actually help them in waking reality? Because Absolutely. Just, okay. Absolutely. I think that's something that we should focus on. Uh, I think it's something that... Um, we can focus on both in terms of a business model that it actually is fun and and uh an experience people people like but i think it's also um i think we sort of have a social responsibility as uh as people who make uh, entertainment to if we can you know why not uh show the the virtues of virtue if there uh, we talked a little earlier said that you see an ongoing trend where more games are having more spiritual messages. You see the trajectory, not only just video games, but also entertainment that are having more profound, more deeper messages that may be pulling people away from the conventional wisdom of what, uh, quote-unquote, God may be, or some of the um, belief patterns that we've come to know through organized religion? Absolutely. Uh, Ryan, uh, I, the movie that really blew me away 
uh, most recently was Doctor Strange, and that's part of the Marvel universe. So it's coming right out of Disney, and it's you don't get more more mainstream than than Marvel, of course. Um, in Doctor Strange, what we have is this doctor who is a great surgeon. He's a man of science, of no faith, of no spirituality. It's very clear in the movie. Um, he has a terrible accident, and he travels to uh, Nepal, I think it is, um, and he starts to learn things about, uh, literally, they use the term the astral plane, and we think about the astral plane in sort of new physics or Kabbalah or stuff, but it's almost like there's a certain amount of spiritual disclosure coming through very mainstream films. You mentioned the astral plane, and it reminded me of there's a very popular toy series called the Transformers that I I used to love when I was a kid. Right. And I was looking at some of the older stories, and it's like, wait a second. And they're talking about the beings coming from the astral plane, that they're physical manifestations of what is happening on an astral plane. And I understood it now. I had no idea what it was back then. But I'm like, what? Are the Transformers communicating some deeper metaphysical messages? And apparently they are. And I'm wondering if there's other series that people kind of love and enjoy that – from your perspective, might be having a deeper metaphysical message. Is there anyone's that, any games or that come to mind for you? Well, I think that uh, the, the most the biggest phenomena uh, of I think of of say gaming and mobile um, of the past uh, year has has to have been Pokemon Go. And Pokemon Go is interesting because it comes from the Pokemon universe. Where, uh, which is, you know, it's, it's Japanese, it's, um, uh, Korean, and it's a lot of Eastern philosophies. So all of the Pokemon are based on, like, fairies, there's fairy type Pokemon, there's, um, there's ghost type Pokemon, and then there's Pokemon that are based on what we might think of as el- elemental magic, like rock type and water type Pokemon. So that's the, that's the sort of the, the, the magic, you know, components of the, of the Pokemon. The go part is that you have to leave your house and go play it, and you have to do it with other people. And if you live where I live, near Central Park, um, and if you go to the corner of Fifth Avenue um, and Central Park, you'll find about 500 people playing Pokemon Go. And when a new uh, rare Pokemon emerges, they all help each other and go look for it. And it's really been, I mean, real-life virtuous uh, action cooperation and doing things together that are fun. Could you see a negative aspect about video games as far as calling it counter um, against spirituality by having people play a game like Call of Duty and become very insensitive to killing because some of these games that they play people play, the killing is is real especially in Mortal Kombat it's just Bone crunching and it's real and it's, yep. it's fun to play. But at the same time, I wonder if it, if it desensitizes people, and then when they're out in waking reality, they don't think twice about you know killing someone. Or maybe it's a little easier. I just didn't know if that was something that could be a, a negative aspect about video games that that's actually causing people to become less spiritual or more kind of in a different reality. I think unfortunately that's that, that I, I agree it is. Uh, we you know you, you we can literally put a gun in a kid's hand and have them aim it and, and kill people and with with gore with with realistic gore and i don't see how that could have any um any any positive impact on someone's spirituality um and certainly what happens is that um if you've you know killed someone virtually over and over again 
uh, you certainly become desensitized to it. And one of the things why I always, you know, want to look back at, you know, how we can incentivize, um, you know, alternatives to that, it's just as much fun to play something like Legends of Zelda or Assassin's Creed or something that has, that does have uh, you making more, um, more cooperative and, and uh, spiritually based decisions. Um, it, you know, it's not like a, a, sh- a first person shooter game is the only thing that a video game can turn to to make money. If you had to look at the last, let's say, three decades of video games, do you think that there's a way to gauge the consciousness of humanity at that particular time based on what games were really popular at the time? And I'm asking that because I'm wondering if the games that the people are currently playing are moving in a direction that, again, is pulling them into a, a calling them or challenging them to evolve or challenging them to be something more than what they are or challenging them to embrace ideas that are totally against or on a new path from what they've been taught in all their other years. I just wondering if there are any particular sure, uh, sure. I I I think that one. I think yes, you can you can definitely chart an expansion expansion of consciousness through the gaming the games of the time. Um, if you just sort of factor out the restrictions of technology, because some of the earliest very popular video games were, uh, you know, like space shooter games or uh, shooting you know rocks and asteroids. Um, so there was sort of a limit to the sophistication of what you could do. But what was happening at the same time um, as early video games was sort of this multiplayer uh, role-playing fantasy games like Dungeons & Dragons, for example, which was kind of based on worlds of magic and, and heroes' journeys and, you know, the, uh, the idea of, you know, you got to go into a cave and slay your dragons and, you know, get your, you know bring out your, your, your true self. Um, and I think that's what we see now reflected in um, a lot of these big games, um, these big multiplayer games. We have the technology now so that what was um, not possible, you know, 30 and 20 years ago, and you had to play it like a Dungeons & Dragons, is now becoming much more much more popular. Um, and I, I also, I, I, I seems to me, when I look at the lists of the top video games, when I ask people what they're playing, I teach um, I teach at NYU, and so we we talk about this a lot. It seems to me that the actual uh, the more uh, violence for violence sake video games have really really diminished greatly over the past ten years. And the final question I have for you, Mr. Campo, if there are two games that come to mind where a person who's never played any video games before you say, listen, if you're going to play two games, play these two games. These are the ones that will probably give you the closest you can come to a profound spiritual experience. These two games will probably have the, the most clear, concise messages of spiritual enlightenment or put you on a path of spiritual enlightenment. What will those two games that you would pick be? Well, I think my first, just to be timely, would be Legends of, Legend of Zelda. You get to play this character named Link, who uh, the, the the sort of the founder of this, the the game based on his own childhood experiences, and so there's a there um, there's a lot of uh, 
Eastern religious um, symbolism involved in his journey. And uh, he's doing something very um, sort of archetypical, which is he has to go uh, free Princess Zelda. And as, as the game progresses, Link uh, goes from being a regular boy to you know, a man of science to a, a boy, a man with great magical powers based on virtue. Um, and the other one, I think, which is which is still hybrid video game uh, mobile, is is Pokemon Go, because it's uh, it will show us what a, a real life interacting with strangers in a way that's cooperative and helpful um, can you know someone sometimes someone says you know holds the door for you or says thank you a certain way that can be a really great spiritual experience and that happens a lot with these interactions and in pokemon go oh that's really awesome mr darren campo i want to thank you so much for your time we can learn more about mr campo by going to his website at darren campo c-a-m-p-o.com thank you so much for your time sir thank you ryan joining us now is the clairvoyant cowgirl Internationally respected psychic medium, Miss Lisa Kaza. We can learn more about Miss Lisa Kaza by going to her website at lisakaza.com. Miss Kaza, from a metaphysical and spiritual perspective, are there great benefits to video games that will help you grow and evolve your soul? Well, I wouldn't necessarily say that there's benefits to it, but I, what I can say is that there is actually a reason behind game addiction. And it's interesting that we're doing this show now because I forget when I did this. It was it had to have been sometime last year um, when Pokemon Go first came out. I'd I'd written an article and I was and I did a lot of media appearances about my article. Um, what's happening is on some level, it doesn't matter actually what kind of addiction it is, whether it's alcohol, drugs, video games. The main um, quest of the human ego is that of escaping, escaping reality, um, and hiding, hiding from whatever could possibly be hurting them in, in those times. So that's the more psychological cause behind all of this, including, as mentioned, video games. But the thing is, there is, and I've said this many times about many, every aspect of life, is that there's always more divine reasonings behind something that, of course, we're not consciously aware of. And, again, it includes video games. And what's going on is um, the higher self knows that there are other realms of existence. But, of course, you know, the majority of folks do not know how to access these other realms of existence. So it's, again, it's a form of escape. But spiritually speaking, it's, like I as mentioned, the higher self knows that there's this other realm of existence. So playing a video game gives the satisfaction of, quote-unquote, living in a different reality. 
even though it's on your TV screen or computer screen. And game developers, it's the same um, aspect, it's the same reasoning behind a game developer. They develop games, create games with the same concept that there is a knowing, silent knowing that there are other realities. And they're trying to capture that, trying to capture a way in which to um, visit different realities in a more physical sense. Are, are, there certain, sense. are there certain games that can actually provoke or invoke a spiritual growth or a spiritual evolution based on the types of color patterns, based on the types of sounds that the person is hearing, based on the types of actions? There are some individuals who say, oh, you know, well, how can a violent video game be positive for spiritual development. And I'm always wondering, well, maybe if a person is allowing their curiosity to be fulfilled in a violent video game, that they're less likely to enact that type of violence in a waking reality. So I didn't know what your perspective on that is. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll agree to that to a certain extent, but it's not necessarily um, spiritual. It's more psychological. Um, that's a more psychological aspect that you're speaking of. Um, I'm not... Like, I'm being told right now that, yes, um, there are some games out there that will um, encourage spiritual and psychic development, but I'm not getting any specific names right now except for one. And, well, it's in my, my article, actually. It's called, the game is called Journey, just Journey. And it's a downloadable game for uh, PlayStation 3 and PlayStation 4. And it's, um, I even remember, like, when I had done my article, I remember seeing reviews about this game, saying it's one of the most spiritual uh, games that they've ever come across, like the, a lot of the players. Um, and I can't even really tell you what the, there is no main story theme to this game and that's the real strange part of it that's what sets this game apart from all the rest you know usually you have an agenda or some kind of purpose or storyline this game journey doesn't have that it's a it's very very different and it's almost like the best way to describe the energy associated to it is if you take a look at native tradition um, a lot of, uh, I was supposed to do this and never did, <laughs> um, you go on what's called, um, oh, geez, now my memory's escaping me, um, like a spirit like a spirit quest. And during, during these quests, you're isolated in, in the woods, in the middle of the woods somewhere, you're completely alone, um, you're fasting. Um, and you're, what you're doing is you're waiting for visions and signs and, and messages from your uh, spirit guides and animal guides. That's what that is all about. It, the energy of that is somewhat similar to the game. But all I can all I can tell you is that uh, in the game, it's like you're wandering through this desert, and what you're doing, I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> even the even the players aren't exactly sure, but it, they. I do recall it's one of the most spiritual games that they've ever come across. It is. 
even for me, and I'm not a real game player. Uh, me, like, a, like yes, I'll admit, like, I'll, my morning routine is I'll make my coffee in the morning. I'll go into Facebook and, you know, I'll play. It's usually match three games. There's something that gets your mind working. But that's about the extent of it. I don't sit there and, you know. But that sounds really interesting. I want to get the game for Pete's sake. I want to get the game now, too. I'm yeah. excited about the game. Yeah. Doing? There's a, a, a genre of games called role-playing games where you play uh, very in-depth stories. Uh, one of the games very popular called yep. Final Fantasy. And I'm wondering, can a soul who's currently in a physical body actually get a fulfilling spiritual experience simply by playing a role-playing game and by picking yes. on one of the characters, where it's like, yes. okay. okay. Yeah, but it's all because of what I mentioned earlier. It's all because there is this knowing within our higher selves, within our spirits, that there are other realities of existence in the universe. But physically speaking, we can't access them. Like, not the... The, not the everyday person can just go poof all of a sudden. Why, and that? why can't we do that? Why, why do we have to? I wish so we strict? could. We're not evolved enough. Is that evolved enough, or is that just We're the? Not. Is that just? Is that not evolved enough as a species, or is that just the restriction that comes with the spirit evolve, uh, choosing to use a uh, human yes. body as an incarnation? Yeah, exactly. You got it right there. Yeah. In time, I am. I'm being told in time. It's almost like the evolu- like evolutionary theory, kind of the same thing with the dinosaurs and, and the, you know, the ice age and everything else, how everything evolved. Um, it will happen where we will eventually have that ability, but definitely not within the next couple hundred years. There's It'll a, take a couple hundred years. A couple hundred years to get there. There's an expression by, uh, and I've heard this several times before, it's called fake it till you make it. So if you're not successful, you, you believe that you're successful, you, you pretend you're successful, and you do that until you actually manifest it. Now, I'm wondering right. if there could be an antithesis of that, which means that there are a lot of people who tend to focus a lot of time and effort on violent video games. You know, like They're pouring their energy and their concentration on this. Now, are they, by them playing those games and by affirming these experiences, could they be setting up a future experience in waking reality that's horrifically violent? I mean, are these people that are involved in these war games, could they actually pull their experience, the likelihood of actually experiencing real war because they've affirmed this so many times in an electronic video game that they've committed a lot of time and effort and energy to? Uh, I don't believe that at all. Um, the most that I get out of that is that they could very well manifest something in their own personal lives. Um, you know, where just this is just an example. Uh, an angry teenager, you know, is playing Final Fantasy or or Call of Duty. That's one of the ones that all my kids were hooked on for years. You know, one of those games, and they get hooked on that and. But they're angry about something. They're angry about, again, like I said, addiction in itself, in whatever form, is a way of escape. Um, in the human ego mind, it could be escaping uh, stress from school, stress from work. Maybe you have money worries. Just like there's always that, there's always a duality. There's a physical or ego-based reason why, but there's also a more spiritual reason why. And the spiritual reason is that, again, that knowing that some 
other realms of existence are there. We just can't reach them. And that's the way of escaping. But, so, going back to my example, um, you know, let's say an angry teenager, you know, the way teenagers are, oh my God, (laughs) they're Jekyll and Hyde half the time. But they could be angry about something, whether it's school or maybe being bullied or, or whatnot, so they take out their frustrations in the game. And if they put that energy in way too much, there's a likelihood, I'm not saying that it will 100% happen all the time, but there is definitely a likelihood likelihood where it, they could manifest that in their own personal lives within their families or, you know, amongst um, their their circle of friends, for example. You can get fighting going on and arguments and chaos. That's what that kind of energy manifests, basically. And, you know, a lot of anger, that kind of thing. But I don't see... Uh, not to, not to the proportions that that uh, that you suggested. My understanding, Ms. Kaza, is that people have spirit guides that are around them that are communicating through them, and we think that okay, well, you say a prayer, and you know the person, their guide communicates you through a feeling or a visual image. Is it possible that spirit guides can actually be communicating messages to a person based on the type of video games that they play, where if they're you know they're playing a game, they're involved in character that they may be playing games that could actually be eliciting emotional or spiritual responses within them based on their experiences with that person who was alive? And, and that, is, that per, is that possible? Um, I'm, I'm hearing loud and clear that it actually is possible. Okay. Um, I can't give you any examples in that respect. However, I actually can say with certainty that I don't know how many times that my own spirit guides and the universe have sent me messages through um, some of the games that I've played, where there's and it's seeing repeat numbers. That's the main thing. So you see repeat numbers of, you know, your score or the level that you're playing at. That's what comes through for me, and uh, so I have to um, look up the numbers to see what they represent, whether it's one, one, one. I see a lot of repeat ones all the time, repeat fours, repeat this, one, two, three, four. It's every day, it's it's the battle I'm always seeing this stuff. But even in games, and but they're trying to send me a mess, a personal message, um, whatever it may be, but uh, but along those lines, you know. Yeah, well, Wisconsin, I don't know if you heard about this, but the PlayStation is just coming out the new games called Avoid the Wife. And what you do is okay. that it's... it's You're so full of crap. No, You're I'm full serious. of crap. I'm serious, but it came up. It's called Avoid the Wife. And what you do is, it's, 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 you're only, it's only for married people. What you do is that you walk around and you try to go throughout an entire day without saying something stupid. And if you do, you <laughs> And if you don't, if you succeed, you retain a couple pieces of hair. And if you, if you lose, you start going bald and you know um, start you're I'm serious and you know it's incredible I've got the high score <laughs> I was I was about to say well you're living it so you oh my goodness <laughs> yes I know I mean I, I'm gonna I'm gonna compete in a tournament Miss Lisa Casa the clairvoyant cowgirl and internationally respected psychic meeting it's always a pleasure and honor to have you with us a little more about Ms. Lisa Casa, and to get a psychic reading with Ms. Lisa Casa, please go to our website at lisacaza.com. Ms. Casa, thank you so much.
Oh, thank you, Ryan. Joining us now is Mr. Jeff Casper and Ms. Yona Brindis, energy healers, energy coaches. You've heard them on our show several times before, and they are awesome. You can learn more about them by going to their website at transcodes.com. Mr. Casper, Ms. Brindis, what are your thoughts on some spiritual video games? Are there any spiritual, are there any video games that have a spiritual meaning from your perspective? Hmm. <laughs> hey, Ryan, thank yeah. you for having us yeah, on definitely. the show. Like, you. You, you got us right here with your first question. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> um, uh, let's back up just a little bit. Uh, I come from this generation um, uh, that first uh, um, experienced the emergence of, yeah. of uh, not only video games, um, but um, educational or somehow software that wants to deliver content or uh, some kind of training uh, to people. So when um, I worked in the software industry in my very early years of my career, um, I um, observed uh, this emergence, and that was a, a, a really made a really strong imprint on me. You know, seeing that uh, you can do more with software than just than just playing and just um, pure pleasure. You can actually teach things, and um, uh, I believe Ryan, um, and this is why I really like that question, that this is a huge market for the future um, to uh, create. Uh, a software that combines gaming with um, not only uh, pure educational learning, such as you know what we can see in the toddler games, but but also um, spiritual content. Is the, the um, today's um, gaming industry um, already there? There's very very few uh, games that would even remotely. Uh, 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 integrate that because most of them are based on very animalistic drives that we have yeah. but it is a huge potential this is a, a, a very cool thought to have a software a, that uses gaming as a channel mm -hmm. as, a, as a carrier uh, to present um, a valuable uh, spiritual teachings, for instance, or like say uh, going through different steps of a journey. There are some um, uh, games, and I don't know if we can name uh, games here on well, that show. But you, you could just say, that, yeah, there's games. Well, like you know, games that are that are giant worlds where you do quests and so forth like that, and you build a character over time. And there's no, there's several of them out there, and there's some major ones that are out there too, like World of Warcraft and so forth. Um, those kind of games where you, you can see what it takes, like you can begin as a child to see, okay, if I do this and I work on whatever this task is, if I work on my archery skills, if I work on my strength skills, whatever, and you learn that by doing effort, you can actually improve your character. That's very true to life as well, too. The unfortunate thing sometimes with those games, and, and that's the challenge, is it, it's addictive. I mean, like if you look at the games we played as children where – you know, like I can remember one of the first games I had where, you know, when you did an attack, all your little character did was do this little, you know, movement on the screen because it was 8 bit or whatever. And then it was a noise. You know, nowadays it's, it's fully enveloped. So the challenge a lot of times with spiritual games or games that are trying to incorporate spiritual values or integrous values is getting some of those cool, like, lessons. Like, I totally got that as a kid, man. If I work on this, 
I get this in this game. And if I apply that to my life, it'll probably work as well, too, because what you focus on, you get. That's a great lesson to learn. But the challenges, like games with World of Warcraft or games like that, I, I don't have the, uh, the experience of too many games to know what to say besides that, is they envelop you. And you get into that, that quest game where you, you have to keep going and, okay, there's one more, there's one more. So there is an addictive issue sometimes with some of those games. But some of the basic values of the games are very interesting. Like, you know, going out and thinking about things. Like if I, if I do a certain skill set of, let's say, I don't know, blacksmithing, or I'm just picking things that come in my head, you can see how you build and grow that over time. Now, of course, in real life, the time is different. And that's what I see sometimes with the kids is they think, well, I do it in this game and it should be simple. And I go out and do it in real life. It's a bit more challenging. <laughs> so, so there's some, there's some ups and downs with it. It's very interesting. The, 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 the problem, um, uh, just like with any kind of, uh, entertainment is of course the integrity level. Mm -hmm. So, um, we like World of Warcraft because it has, um, a, a fairly acceptable integrity level. All right. So um, the example that Jeff just made about, uh, you know, the basic dynamics of learning a skill set and then applying it and then getting a reward for it is, of course, part of, of uh, all uh, video games out there. Mm -hmm. But uh, the question is, you know, what is the, the moral value or the, uh, the, the consciousness level of what is uh, being transported here? And there is still a huge gap. Um, it's actually one of our projects here, one of my personal pet projects, uh, is to develop a spiritual software uh, that can help people to uh, walk through their spiritual journey in this sort of um, virtual reality uh, uh, kind of set. Because, uh, quite frankly, Ryan, there's a lot of similarity uh, between how we perceive our world and how um, the coding, you know, of our uh, um, uh, energy uh, perception and so forth works, the uh, virtual reality. So, if you, uh, if anybody is listening here in the software industry interested in developing spiritual software, I'll be more than happy to assist and to help with this. I'm actually developing a board game right now, which hopefully will lead to a software, because I think this is a great way of transporting deeper content mm -hmm. to younger people. We have teenagers here. We know that our kids in future will most likely be more susceptible to content that is delivered in some kind of gaming environment than um, maybe reading a book. Yeah. And there's some interesting things out there, too. I know a few years back I read, I'm not sure what they did with it, but there was some people developing, um, they were using some form of gaming platform to help people who had schizophrenic issues, uh, mostly auditory uh, hallucinations, where they would help the person develop an avatar, um, you know, like facial software and all that kind of stuff, and put a picture with this voice in their head. And they actually would name it and everything. And then what would happen was is, is one of the therapists would play the avatar and even get the voice down right for the schizophrenic. So the schizophrenic could see a actual physical representation, because most schizophrenics hear things, and they could actually see a person and aim that avatar as their voice and actually could talk to the voice. It's, I, I don't know how far they took it, but I know it was very interesting, and they had some interesting initial uh, research on it. So there are some things they're starting to do to help out with some of those things. So, yes, it's very possible that, like, you know, Yona said, using virtual reality or video game concepts for helping people out and so forth could become very powerful. 
Do you think there's anything spiritual about a game like Super Mario Brothers where the character walks along, he's an average size, and then he takes a magic mushroom and he gets super <laughs> big and he's got all these powers? And now I'm thinking about it, I was like, wow, maybe this game is encouraging you to take mushrooms. And then if you take another mushroom, you can shoot fireballs. I wonder if it was a uh, subtle, you know, nice little way of saying mushrooms are fantastic. Take well, magic mushrooms. you know, because they're in the Magic Kingdom, too. They're also in the Magic Kingdom. Yeah, yeah this, is, this is a, uh, actually a problem here. Why, yeah. you know, we <laughs> as parents have to be very attentive to the kind of games that our t- children play because there's a lot of subtle messaging in mm. those existing video games. And I'm not even talking about the obvious, you know, the single person shooter games that's obvious i'm talking about the subtle uh, programming that uh, occurs through video gaming because think about it um the amount of hours that that these kids spend uh with playing a game is in the thousands all right there's uh, uh, actually a, a, in my opinion this is my personal opinion the need to have an oversight for that because there are there are things that I see our kids playing that have all of a sudden have certain programmings in there that are not okay. The, the game looks fun, looks happy, there's great music in the background, but all of a sudden there are things in there that um, uh, program my child into a certain belief or into a certain way of doing things. And as energy healers, we know the other side of this. Mm-hmm. This takes a long time and a lot of effort to to deprogram a person from things like this. So for me, besides the, uh, the obvious uh, problem with video gaming, you know, spending too much time there, uh, is the subtle programming, yeah. which is why I believe that a spiritual or um, more conscientious uh, software with higher consciousness and higher integrity levels could really be a wonderful way of of compensating and creating a bit more balance there. There are three distinctive video games that are very popular that I actually think have negative messages in them, and this is where mm-hmm. I'm probably going to get a lot of people upset, but I want to know what your thoughts were. Uh, first one is called Frogger, which is a classic video game from the 80s. You're a frog, and you're crossing the street, and I think it's just insane, because why would a frog want to cross the street with all those cars? It just doesn't make any sense. I don't understand. Pac-Man, you're this guy, and you keep on eating and eating and eating, and I'm wondering if that's when we had the surge of obesity, when everyone thought it, we should just eat a lot, <laughs> and just non-stop eating. And this last one, this is a real popular game, and it's gotten it's considered one of the greatest games. It's called the Grand Theft Auto, Grand Theft Auto Five, and I've played this, and it's I have to tell you, it's incredible. Graphics are amazing, but you're going around, and you could just walk down the street and shoot people yeah. and blow them up with machine guns, and it's not like you're in a war zone situation. You're just walking around and doing this stuff, and I'm wondering. Actually, more so about the Grand Theft Auto games, but because a game like that is so popular, could, is that negative, or do you think that could actually be positive because it's allowing people to express a curiosity about what it would be like to do something like that without actually having to do it in real life? Yeah, I mean, okay, if you look at the latter part of what you just said, if you did it for half an hour you know, <laughs> or, or, or a couple of days, how much more do you need? You know, the, the challenge a lot of times with those games because they're extremely um addictive and plus you have to realize when kids pick these things up they're developing they're going through certain uh you know emotional states and so forth and 
what happens though is that the fascination of getting the next game, getting the next quest, getting the next gun, getting the next car, um, and you know, like I, like one of our teenagers plays that game a little bit, and, and some of the stuff they do. I mean, like there is zero integrity in those games. Like he was telling me how he took, you know, it took him a month or something to build up this place, and then someone who knew how to hack the game came in and just destroyed everything. That's their entire job is just to come in and destroy things and take money. So like. And then, of course, the companies you know that that do this, they have all these online servers. They don't back anything up. So it's it, it's a very strong demonstration in low integrity, you know, low integrous yeah. values. And then, if you get into the repetitive nature, or if a child has any type of addictive structure, they're hooked because the next quest is coming, the next thing is coming. Grand Theft Auto is a very good example for subliminal yes uh, messages. Big time. There is um, there is a an incongruence between. The music and what the people are doing. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's very light, very happy music, and um, a very uh, violent activity, of mm -hmm. course. Degradating, degradation uh, also. Yes, yeah. and um, there's a, a very quick, instant gratification, mm -hmm. and those are all markers of of uh, uh, sucking a person's um, attention, and mm -hmm. of course triggering uh, the addictive structure behind that. But we, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to see that obviously there is a need here in the software industry to work with this because there's other ways to stimulate um, uh, people to uh, want to play a game. The reason why Grand Theft Auto is so successful and also so dangerous at the same time is because it simulates real-life situations. Mm -hmm. And there's been issues with this where... Um, there were some maps of uh, Los Angeles that, that were real, real uh, life maps, street maps, okay, that were shown where, where people, uh, if they played it enough, they actually got the simulation of being in those streets that actually exist with the storefronts and so forth that have led to people going on a rampage yeah. and yeah. actually acting out the very thing that they have been programmed to do so, there is a a really uh, a dangerous aspect yeah. to uh, uh, letting this go unsupervised. Well, and an easy way to see that in action, because of course, I mean, very few people have uh, they have to be really low in conscience to have those codes to go out and shoot and kill and maim. But it's the rep repetition. But an easy one to feel is if anybody's ever played a racing game. If anybody plays Mario Kart or something like that, or even some of the more, like Forza, I think is one of the names of them. Forza is a real high-level one. If you play that for a couple hours and then go drive, how do you drive? You drive like a psychopath for the first five minutes because you, you're, in that, you're in that moment. You're in that energy of, I can, I can take corners at 50 miles an hour, no problem. You know? I can tell you something funny. Richard, Tyler, and I, we used to play that, and then afterwards we would go out driving and we would say, you guys drive like shittiest. <laughs> <laughs> so now that's a little easier because right we're driving, you know. So it's, it's and it's not real crazy, and it's nothing against major value issues, you know. But if you play games repetitively, like the game you're talking about, Grand Theft Auto, yeah. some of these other first-person shooters, if you have aggression issues or if you have certain things, now they have done a lot of research on this yet, and they have not tied it. There's correlations, but they have not tied it yet. But eventually, it does. I mean, if you repeat that long enough. It's it's a it's an action. It's a reaction. So yeah, the closer the, it gets, all of a sudden, boom! Something happens. You do something without even thinking about it. It's a conditioning. Yeah. And the the psychological aspect behind that, of course, uh, as well as the energetic aspect, is 
but uh, you know whatever impulse is coming in through your your visual nerve your brain cannot differentiate whether this is actually happening or not mm -hmm. and so you're conditioning yourself with situations uh, that you're seeing and where you're acting something that is questionable and so the question the original question that you had is it a good thing maybe to act out certain things like say shadow trades right in in uh, video games to 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 prevent acting out in in uh, in real life, um, I think the research here is pretty clear. Uh, it, it, it's not because the more you act it out, the less the lesser your uh, threshold, uh, and the, the the higher the need for more stimulation. That's the challenge usually. Then actually, that's done. There's a lot of research on that. People have interviewed, um, you know, seriously. Um, damaged people like serial killers or or high-level criminals and they asked them what got them on that path and some of them have said you know various things that stimulated them whether it be you know violent stuff like that or you know things with degradation or sexuality and at some point it wasn't enough and that's the now that's a that's a small portion of society but if we open things up to that and that person has that trigger in them and all of a sudden they repeat that over and over again, whatever that degradation cycle is or violent cycle is, all of a sudden they're going to at some point say, I need more. That's the challenge. So thinking in a positive way now um, uh, how the world could be or how the conditioning could be if you develop a software where the skills that you need to develop are actually empathetic skills. And you have to uh, get into a hard resonance with a character in order to move that character forward. If you think about that, that's a whole different world that uh, we could create with that. So I think the software industry here carries um, a big responsibility for our future generations because this is the main channel for teaching. The types of video game that a person is attracted to, whether they're role-playing games, sports games, action games, is that a direct reflection on the shadow that they have or where they are spiritually? Is there any significance about where a person is in their evolution as far as the types of games that they tend to be engaged by? Well, it depends on the age they're at. I mean, you know, we all have drives, we all have things within us, we all have patterns, you know, but if we're exposed to those things, like, you know, if a if a child, if a parent exposes a child to, like, say, horror films as a young child or violent films, and they think that's okay, well, that that it will tie in certain things to that child's programming. Same thing if a child gets into video games that are, are not appropriate, age appropriate, and they don't understand that, it can definitely affect things and it can affect their consciousness. Um, now, if a child has different upbringing and then all of a sudden gets exposed to those things at the appropriate ages, then yeah, you might see tendencies. I mean, name me one, you know boy between the age of 12 and 17 that, that doesn't like some form of action game or high-end right. sport game. That Some of those things are just normal things to experience and try out. Um, but then you have to watch it. You have to see what they do with it. Like certain children try games and they're fine with it and they play it for a while and they let them go. You know, there's not a big As game. they evolve, they yeah. evolve out of certain types of video games. Right, or they play them very rarely because it's, it's enjoyable for a bit, but then it's not so much, you know. And then other children... They get into it, and that becomes their world. There's addictive structure in there. There's there's um, checking out sometimes involved because they don't want it to go out and try it in the real world. The real world's too challenging. Um, you know, there's all kinds of things that play into that. So it's not so much necessarily their their consciousness. Uh, it can affect it, obviously, but it's more so about certain urges and drives and certain patterns that they have that 
can show up when they start to try. And to we all out. have those. Yeah. So the reason why the most successful video games um, are uh, uh, single-person shooter games is because it taps into one of our lowest drives mm-hmm. of humanity. And so it's very difficult to, to judge a person by the choice of video games. But as a person uh, intellectually developed, they will They're be emotional. and emotionally developed. Mm-hmm. They there will be a tendency to be more interested in playing strategy games and playing um, uh, role player games because there is more stimulation on uh, uh, other parts of the brain that mm-hmm. the, the 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 person uh, wants to to act out in the game. Mr. Jeff Casper, Miss Jonah Brindis, energy coaches, energy healers, and favorites on the Outer Limits of the Truth radio show. I want to thank you both so much for being with us today. You can learn more about these two unbelievable, great people by going to their website at transcodes.com. Thank you so thank much. You. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you for having us on your great show. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our unbelievable guest. This is a stork. We've never seen or heard a comprehensive program done about spiritual meanings behind video games. So I want to thank everyone who was such a part of this program. Special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Lisa Kaza, and Miss Constance Stellis. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. Till the next time we meet, my friends, wishing upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Take good care. Thank you so much for listening. Want to be heard or seen in front of millions of people? Want to be an expert on TV or radio? Goldman McCormick PR is a New York City-based public relations agency that specializes in traditional and social media placement for law, finance, media, and corporate-based clients. Goldman McCormick PR also are specialists in website development, radio show creation, press conferences, media training, and so much more. Check out GoldmanMcCormick.com for more information. GoldmanMcCormick.com.